Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kill Your Yo-Yo, the podcast dedicated to yo-yo improvisation, yo-yo theory, and yo-yo performance. My name is Ross Levine, and we have an awesome guest today. It is Dr. Popular. But before I tell you about all the things I talked to Doc Pop about, I want to say this show is brought to you by those who support my company, Illinks Toys. We have an awesome yo-yo out right now on yotricks.com and yoyosam.com. It's the melatonin. The melatonin is a yo-yo that I wanted for a long time, something that has no compromises but is a pocketable yo-yo, something that's a little bit slim but kind of has a normal size diameter uh, so it doesn't have any, any of that tiny yo-yo feel that makes it so it's hard to land your tricks. Everyone I let try this loves this yo-yo, and it's, uh, it's got a lot of uh, a rim weight, so it has that long spin. It's got a nice, awesome gap that, first of all, is great for finger, uh, finger grinds. It also has uh, the, the ability to do finger spins kind of around the hub, and the hub is dimpled in, so you can land a finger spin. I don't really like to do that. Everyone who tries it seems to do it. Uh, I tend to do pull starts with those little uh, divots in the, in the hub. You should check out the pictures. But anyway... You can do all your grinds. You can do all your tricks. There's no compromises with this yo-yo, but it feels awesome in your pocket. I bring it with me everywhere that I go, and I hope that you will as well. It's only $60, so go ahead and pick that up and support this show. Now, I want to tell you about Dr. Popular because I had an awesome conversation with him. This is a legend, an absolute legend of the yo-yo community, and there's just no denying that. He's up there with, like, uh, Mark McBride, and, uh, oh my god, just everybody, like, like Black, and, uh, I can't, Hiroyuki Suzuki, he's, he's the, he's the best, he's in the best, he's created tricks that you learned, he created Gyroflop, he created Skin the Gerbil, he's created all these styles, uh, like Mobius, he made Mobius, uh, so Zami kind of owes his life to Dr. Popular, now, uh, Dr. Popular has, has been around for so long, everything that he says is essentially yo-yo history, just because that is the nature of legends, uh, but also because he's been through so much and he's been in so many uh, just interesting situations in the yo-yo world and met so many of the people that you look up to and spoken with them uh, and influenced them and been influenced by them, and he's created all these amazing feed lo feedback loops through the yo-yo community as well as between other skilled toy communities like the magic community, like the juggling community, like the poi community. He has done so much. He now runs a Patreon. He has a brand where he sells yo-yos. Uh, oh, he also created the trick branding, which is another just classic that everyone takes for granted. Uh, he is amazing, and we talk about so much theory, so much about performance, so much. I just, I, I, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to just let you listen to all of the wisdom he has to say. So sit back, relax, grab a yo-yo, kill it, and uh, and enjoy the show. Hey, Doc Pop, how's it going? I'm doing well. Howdy. How are you, Ross? Oh, I'm doing pretty good today. Just have my coffee. <laughs> are you a coffee drinker? I, I, yeah, I actually, this, you said this might be kind of long, so I've got like my latte ready, and then I like have a cold brew kind of on the side like i'm, I'm set yeah yeah i've i've just gotten into cold brew it's so so nice you can just keep it in the fridge mm -hmm. awesome so i'm really excited to have you on you're you know a legend in the yo-yo world and 
uh, inventor of all kinds of tricks and styles um, that every like people still use. So uh, I'm really pumped to have you on. And the first question I ask basically everyone is your backstory of how you got started, what brought you into the yo-yo world, and maybe like what age you were at when you started as well. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, I'm from Lewisburg, Tennessee, which is a small town in Tennessee, uh, hour south of Nashville. And um, I was very lucky that I was able to kind of follow all of my interests. So when I got into magic, my parents were very supportive of that. Um, you know, like uh, if I wanted to skateboard, like, you know, they would encourage me to do that. I was terrible at that, though. Um, music ended up kind of being the thing that I thought I was going to kind of steer towards, you know, so like when I was 15 or 16, it was magic was kind of like losing its appeal. And I was kind of getting more and more to music. And uh, on my 21st birthday, I flew from Nashville, Tennessee to Seattle, Washington, to talk to a record label in Olympia, Washington. And I thought that was going to be the beginning of like my musical career. Um, while I was up there, I stopped in the Space Needle and picked up my first yo-yo and um, played with that yo-yo for like the week. I was in Olympia and Seattle. And when I came back to Nashville, I didn't have a record contract that, uh, you know, that was just sort of just like a fun conversation with them. It wasn't really business or whatever, like nothing came out of that. But the day I came back to Nashville, I think it was on my 21st birthday, uh, a guy was opening a yo-yo stand that day and um, said, hey, you're, you're a yo-yoer. <laughs> I had like a week of playing with like a novelty yo-yo from a souvenir shop. Uh, but I was better than, you know, most, most other folks, I guess at the time who, you know, cause yo-yoing wasn't super big. So he hired me to be a salesman at his like kiosk in the mall. And, uh, you know, that was just like getting paid to practice, uh, and talk to other people and learn from other people and teach other people and stuff. So that's, that's how I got into yo-yoing. And it seems like, um, you know, I, I had this vision that I was going to be a musician, probably living in Nashville. Uh, and it's like the yo-yo just has steered me all across, you know, everywhere I've moved has been because of the yo-yo, which means all the friends I have, the people I love in my life, like are all because of, you know, a yo-yo I bought in a souvenir shop. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That, so it sounds like you might've also had some kind of lead ahead of other people just because you had sort of you know, other background, I mean, magic, to be able to do magic, you need that hand-eye coordination that you need for yo-yoing. Was there any like crossover that you saw there? Were there, are there any other toys or sort of, you know, eccentric things that that you think helped contribute to you getting added onto that uh, kiosk? I, I probably, you know, kind of learned how to learn things, you know, from, from being in magic or whatever, um, or, or I, I was never really a juggler, but, uh, you know, I, I think I kind of learned how to pick up new skills and stuff like that. Um, the only thing that really comes to mind, um, for back then would have been if I was doing demos, uh, well, I mean, I guess you're kind of doing demos when you're doing a one-on-one -on -one presentation, but definitely when you're like in a school doing like an auditorium show or, or whatever, um, or running a contest, you know, all the stuff I learned from magic, uh, about hitting beats and, you know, hitting pauses and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I probably adapted. And I think, you know, I hate, I hate doing sales, 
but I think uh, a lot of the stuff you learn as a performer can be kind of applied to, to being sales. And I say, I hate doing sales because I'm a terrible salesman. Um, but I feel like it's, you know, how to approach people, even if you're shy and how to, you know, uh, win them over or whatever is all kind of stuff you, you get from that. So those, those skills definitely have translated in, in less literal ways, you know, not, not really like one-to-one, -one, not like I had hand dexterity or something. That's, that's not really the case. Well, that's interesting that you said um, learning the the beats and pauses from magic. And just for people who don't know, I mean, anyone, probably everyone's gotten a magic kit. And when you get it, you don't just get the props, but you also get the presentation. And when you buy still today on like Illusionist or Theory 11 or, or Vanishing Ink, like any of the big magic shops, you'll go and you'll pick up a magic trick and you get the trick, but you also get an hour long DVD or download of the, the guy performing it or the girl performing it and uh, going and showing people and talking through and, and all of his presentations, you learn how they've presented it and how they've learned that the presentation works. And so when you're learning magic, you're not just learning the, the tricks themselves, but also how to be a performer. Um, and so could you kind of go into what those, you mentioned like beats and pauses, like what does presenting in magic look like and then how can sort of yo-yoers learn to apply that to yo-yoing? You know, it's, it's, it's a little different than the question, but I think it's, it, it's the way I think about things now is um, b-boying, uh, breakdancing. Uh, when you are a breakdancer, they don't just focus on technique. I mean, it, you know, technique is obviously the, what makes, you know, uh, b-boying, b-boying. It's like all technique and, you know, uh, like how powerful you can be and stuff like that. But from the beginning in that culture, they're like, dude, you can't just hit like banger after banger after banger. You have to give people a chance to react. Like you have to do the stops. And that is, uh, you know, I think all sorts of like, uh, you know, magic culture and like b-boying and dance culture. I mean, there's all these kind of crossovers This probably transcends anything that's on a stage, but it's just about like, um sometimes giving a cue to people that you just did a hard trick by by stopping the cue is usually by you know boom 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 and the kind of giving a pause and just you know letting people kind of like clap or whatever they're going to have a better time you know you're going to have a better time uh it's just kind of it's a win-win situation and it's something that if you just did uh three minutes of solid yo-yoing at, at light speed or three minutes of b-boying uh, without any pauses, which it wouldn't even be really b-boying then. Uh, yeah, people, people might not enjoy it as the dude that's, you know, taking time, you know, instead of doing the moves, he's taking time to kind of like hit that cool pause and, you know, give a, give a sly look at the crowd or whatever. And, and that wins them over. So that's, that's what I mean by like, um, you know, there's kind of a rhythm when you're kind of doing a trick and you don't want to stop all the time, but when you hit something, even if it's something that you think is kind of simple, you know, there's times where that, you know, if you pause right, and if you kind of make a big thing, uh, then, you know, it feels like a really big trick. And like, let that moment land for them. Yeah. I, I forget who it was. Someone was saying they, they saw this yo-yo do a trick called the Great Wall of China. And it was, it's literally like, like a one and a half mount that you don't land and it just kind of makes a square out of the string but he built it up as this ancient art form that people would practice for years to master. And then once he did it, the audience went crazy just because they didn't care what it was. Um, and that also reminded me um, in 
the Upright Citizens Brigade Comedy Improvisation Manual, which is a really good book for anyone who's interested in improv. There's a graph that I love, which is exactly what you're saying. It's um, to people who aren't looking, it's a, you know, X, Y axis, and it's just a straight line up on the Y axis and then across on the X axis and then up on the Y axis and across on the X axis. It just looks like a staircase. And so what it's, what it's basically saying is that you, you heighten whatever's happening in the scene and then you explore what you've just heightened. So like you get to another level and then you kind of explore and you don't really add any more information. You just kind of let that moment land. Um, and then you keep doing that. And that brings the show to a higher level and a higher level and a higher level, but also lets the audience understand where, what level they're at right now. Um, so first of all, read this book, really good. I'll add it to the notes. Um, um, but also, yeah, like kind of, kind of bringing you back saying, to, to yeah. b-boying, they, they call it the freeze, I think. Uh, and it's just, it's like I said, it's just part of the culture. Like you, you know, uh, if you're doing dance, uh, tutorials, your instructor would be like, dude, you have to freeze somewhere. Like you have to put a freeze in there. Um, and yo-yoing kind of misses a little bit of that because we focus on, uh, for, for competition, uh, because we focus on technical counting. Um, so every minute you're, or every second, you're not doing a trick, uh, in a way sort of hurts you. Like we do, I think adjust with a little bit of showmanship score, but in, in b-boying, it's all showmanship. So like, uh, so they, they emphasize, you know, using the environment and, uh, interacting with things and, and, you know, hitting those freezes and being a good performer and yo-yoing. I feel like if you want to be a good performer, it's almost, it's almost at the cost of, you know, the competition thing, which I, I'm not a purist, so I don't think it should be about technical or it should be about showmanship. It should be about whatever you're into. Like, yeah. I'm not really into either of those things. I just want to get like yo-yo, but I do kind of, sometimes I see kids really training hard to be technical machines. And I'm just, I'm slightly bummed because like, I kind of wish that they, you know, there was an emphasis on that showmanship too. Yeah. It's uh, it's the difference between being a good yo-yoer and being a good performer, and those are not the same skill. Um, and mm. performing skills also, once you learn those, you can apply them to everything. Uh, even professionally, if you're going into the corporate world, it's good to have performing skills when you're doing presentations. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm interested in sort of who your initial inspirations were when you were getting into yo-yoing other than the kiosk guy uh, like who you were yo-yoing with kind of what crowd you find yourself falling into yeah so so um the the kiosk guy didn't even yo-yo uh so when i got into yo-yoing uh th there were no peers locally and there was no um internet like, uh, you know, online, there wasn't like a, you know, yo-yo scene online. I didn't have access to the internet. Uh, so, you know, the, the first thing that I did, I think my first yo-yo was like a bumblebee or a sonic spin. And there was two trick books. Um, I think splitting the atom and something else by the same person, uh, great illustrations, uh, really cool style and just the perfect, like, perfect tutorial you know like considering like it would it would be hard to imagine learning through text or you know through through a book now but they were like i guess the tricks were just right it was that perfect time for like yo-yo trick books 
So that's why I learned. And I remember finishing both of those books, like the first one and then the kind of advanced one. I finished them in the first week of yo-yoing. It was like, okay, I learned, yeah, I learned to split the atom. That's like the last trick in the book. Uh, and so, um, so I just thought the, those, I just thought those are what you learn to get started. And then you just make up stuff. Uh, so yeah, we just were making up stuff like from the beginning, uh, was always kind of like how I thought yo-yoing worked. Like you learn these 20 tricks and then you just go nuts. Uh, and it would be a while before I met other yo-yoers. Um, so I guess the only other influence would have been the Dale Oliver, um, Spintastics video that we would play on loop, you know, cause every kiosk has like the TV with the VCR, you know, tape. Uh, and the little VCR rewinder right next to it to speed up the rewind. Uh, so yeah, just watching his thing all the time. Um, yeah, the, 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 the influences, I, I, I can't think of how long it would have been before I would have seen another yo yo -er. you know, so like I was always kind of just like a week or two ahead of everybody at, at the, at the kiosk, you know, like the, the, the guy who started the kiosk didn't yo-yo. Uh, and then people who came and like body yo-yo for me a week later, they'd be, you know, much better, you know, they'd be like a week later, but I just always had just a slight, you know, a slight, uh, head start because I was yo-yoing a week longer than they were. It's mm -hmm. kind of funny. That's awesome. So you're kind of just in with that crowd. What, what was that Spintastics video? Like what, what was that? It was, you know, it was corny 80s or I guess maybe 90s, uh, you know, very kid friendly. Everybody had like matching blue polo shirts if they were a sponsor or if they were pro um, with like, you know, national master embroidered on it or whatever, like kind of like their their things uh, that that Duncan aesthetic was still there. Duncan always kind of had that kind of like uniform and wearing badges was always kind of like a big thing so like yeah they were that and i think you know dale and and his wife valerie uh are both awesome people and like had a huge influence on yo-yoing but i don't think you really got that from the video in terms of like creativity i think mostly from the video you kind of felt like they felt like people who just been doing the same tricks forever and were really good at teaching them uh you know like dale i think uh invented the off string throw uh, and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of other things like the idea of like winding a yo-yo while it's not attached and throwing it. So it took a while before, you know, getting it back to your hand was a thing, but, uh, you know, he was, he was pushing weird boundaries, probably, uh, probably a lot of things I have thought about, he thought about way ahead of me, but you know, you just didn't get that from that, from the videos, the videos weren't at all about like, uh, here's some weird stuff, you know, it was very much just you know, rock the baby and hitting that nice smile and very family friendly and just, yeah, very, uh, not, not very inspirational for, for me, you know, cause I just wanted to see weird stuff. Is, is this the Dale from Yo-Yo Jam or is it a different? Dale? Uh, no, that's a different Dale. Okay. Dale, Dale Oliver from Spintastics. Got it. Got it. And he's a, he's a national master, uh, and yeah, been been yo-yoing probably. I'm gonna guess forty or fifty years, maybe longer. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that you that you say that he is was kind of like a huge innovator, but then also in the video he's just doing the standard tricks because it's the same performance versus yo-yoing prowess. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know 
thing that that the two totally different skills and if you're trying to sell yo-yos you're not going to go out and do the most experimental thing you know um so that's awesome so then i guess you you've stuck with yo-yoing for for a while now and <clears throat> i don't i don't see you going anywhere in the community why why choose yo-yoing over music and over magic and over any of your other interests I'm sure my interest in yo-yoing has ebbed and flowed. Um, I've been very lucky. I think it's lucky that it was never like uh, something I was forced to do. Uh, so like I wasn't, uh, I mean, I have like a small yo-yo company, but like if I stopped making yo-yos, uh, which, you know, with the pandemic happening and, and the supply line, it feels like I've stopped because everything's taking so long now. But like, um, you know, it's not my, that's, it's still just like funding a hobby which is good. Uh, I think if I had put myself in a position where for some reason, you know, I was still doing shows for a living as a yo-yo or, or, you know, had a yo-yo company and I was constantly thinking about like this inventory I need to move and how I'm going to afford to, you know, place the next order, I probably would quit. But, you know, it, because, because there's not that pressure, anytime I'm not really feeling like yo-yoing, you know, whether it's a week or, you know, a year, uh, I just, you know, don't, don't yo-yo. And so I never rage quit. Uh, I never had that thing where I'm done with this. I'm going to sell everything off. It's just always been kind of something that like, I'll pick up my guitar and play it a bunch for a few months. And then, you know, uh, one day I'll pick up a yo-yo and find something new and just all of a sudden kind of go back into that. That's just how my life has always been just kind of being able to flow from one thing to another, which isn't, I don't recommend if you do want to make a career at something you really, I think do need to pick something and focus on it. Uh, I think it's hard to, you know, excel at something uh, and just kind of flow around. You, but but that's that's what I chose to do was you know flow from hobby to hobby, and as a result, I've never hated anything, which is nice. I would I would feel terrible like, you know, if one day I like resented yo-yoing or something, that would be a real bummer. Oh yeah, no, I I I do the same thing. I like slowly have my my juggling tricks that I'll have like just in my, in my garage to go back to. But then like last night I did an improv show this morning, I'm doing a, a yo-yo podcast and then I do uh, engineering for my day job and then magic while I'm sitting in meetings. Like I'll just do tricks for mm -hmm. myself and practice lights. And so like, I'm constantly switching between that. And I totally, totally understand that, uh, that approach to maintaining all those different hobbies. It, it's a good way to make sure you never get bored of any one thing. Um, I definitely agree with that. I love that. Um, so you have created some of the, the most iconic tricks out there. I don't want to step on your toes. What are some of the, the tricks that you've come up with? Like that. The uh, yeah, I think, I think skin the gerbil branding gyroscopic flop. Um, there's a few more like single A ones. Um, and I, you know, I think I had uh, a lot of influence in freehand, uh, but also like, you know, Astro style, which is the sliding freehand, the kind of two weights at the end and Mobius yo-yoing, which isn't big, uh, but like, you know, where you're playing inside the finger loop. Uh, so kind of a, a few niche things. And then, a, you know, like I said, a, a few, a few core tricks that uh that i see i see kind of catching on which is great so do you think because like i look at for example skin the gerbil 
not this doesn't apply to everything that you were coming up with do you think that that would come come around from somebody eventually or was that something that you like specifically worked on because it's hard to put myself into the mindset of like mm. back then when tricks were just get on the string do a few little elements spin those around um like what was sort of the trick creation process like back then when there was this huge like revolution in all these tricks coming around all at once well there's there's sort of um uh tricks versus elements and you know i think like uh gyroscopic flop is maybe more of an element branding is more of an element yeah. and uh skin the gerbil is like kind of like a series of elements linked together so like would someone else find skin the gerbil probably not like verbatim um but uh but you know the the, it, it, the things like gyroscopic flop and branding i think people would have like eventually found i just uh happened to be the the first to kind of stumble upon it i think uh, mark mcbride always kind of talks about it like you don't create tricks you just kind of like find them and so like uh i was just out lost wandering in the woods and i found you know i found some tricks yeah. before other people did um and you know uh as far as as far as like what it was back in kind of the early days of videoing for me which uh you know we were new school against the old school so it's always kind of weird to think back you know where what we were doing is now old school but uh the the ball bearing yo-yos came out, I guess, in the 80s, but they really didn't become kind of mainstream until the late 90s when they became plastic and affordable, the body, you know, the yo-yo. So they went from like this very high-end kind of expensive thing to like every toy store had a ball bearing yo-yo for like 15 or $20. And so that's right when I got into yo-yoing was right when that all of a sudden was like, so ball bearings weren't new, but it felt like ball bearing tricks and, and longer spin was just like, new to everyone including dale oliver and including the people who've been around for a while uh and because i wasn't um because i hadn't spent 10 or 20 years mastering you know the hardest trick i could do on a wooden axle or whatever i i didn't have that kind of mental wall in my head of like mm. well this is this is a hard trick so like i was able to kind of pick up everything they were doing very quickly because i didn't know that they were hard tricks and because ball bearings made it accessible and um it felt like that gave a lot of us an advantage where older players had to kind of relearn everything they thought they knew about what was possible. Young players didn't have that. We just totally built off of what they were doing. You know, their, their 40 or 50 years worth of labor. We just kind of like learned it in a week and then, you know, just it took it from there. So, it, you know, it gave us a big head start. Skateboarding has the same thing, right? Like it seems like every time somebody gets into skateboarding, it seems like they're just instantly better than a beginner was 10 years ago. Or like oh, yeah. 20 years ago like they just see what's the hardest trick out there and it just kind of gives them a starting point of like you know what to aim for and then they kind of surpass it pretty quickly uh so so we had that and because it wasn't very well documented and because sleep times were becoming so much longer and yo-yos were kind of becoming less responsive and less grabby i guess uh it was very easy to accidentally find a trick so a lot of my first tricks were just accidents and then just trying to kind of explore it. But it just felt like if you, it felt like if you were just trying anything other than just the, the trick from the trick book, it just felt like if you just kind of said, what if I wave my hands like this, then all of a sudden like, you'd be like, oh, there's a new <laughs> trick. It just, it, it felt like really easy to just kind of constantly be stumbling on stuff. And, yeah. you know, skin the gerbil, like I said, that's, that's a combo. So that's like a, a very intentional thing. And it's very flattering because when you think about like a, 
uh, split the atom, which is uh, just a combination of several elements, but it's become kind of like a standard combination of things. That's pretty cool to have something that's kind of like, uh, you know, a, a song that gets covered or something versus like just a unique move. It's like, oh, people are doing, they're not just doing that move, but they're, they're trying to do it in your style and they're trying to do the next trick after it and the next trick after it kind of just like you did. So that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah, no, those are, I mean, those, those tricks that now are kind of the standard songs, like the classics that everybody has to learn at first. I've always said they're, they're not necessarily the greatest of, of all time, but they are so good at covering, like, how do you flow elements together? How do you learn all the different elements that you have to learn that constitute the entire combo? And, and so, I mean, that's what makes them classics is that they, they do flow together and they are intentionally created that way. Um, it, it's such a beautiful little trick. Um, I, I, I love that. And one other thing I just want to mention for uh, sort of those elements versus the combos is uh, uh, a uh, gyro flop. That was the first trick I ever saw of yo-yoing that made me go like, there's something more here and I want to learn it. And then I think six months later, I, I met a friend who was yo-yoing and I was like, teach me, teach me. Cause I finally had a chance to, to actually get into it. Um, so I'm literally sitting here because of, of your contributions to yo-yoing. Um, and I do want to get into that. I also want to just hit on two other things of, of what you mentioned, which is uh, that, that thought of like the beginners now are starting at just this higher level. I almost think that uh, it, there's that story of the four minute mile of for years, no one could do a four minute mile and they thought it was impossible and no one could ever do it. Then one person finally did it. And then within six months, like 15 other people had suddenly done it because they realized it actually was possible. And so it takes someone to go in and break down those barriers uh, for just kind of the collective consciousness, not to get too woo woo here, but to, to pick up, oh, we can do this stuff now and it's not too hard, which sort of happened with like solo ham that one person did it one day and they're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to, but that's totally impossible. Then one other person tries it and starts doing crazy stuff and then binds start coming out of it. And so like, that's how these major leaps forward happen. Um, which brings me to the last thing that I wanted to hit on, uh, which is that like, you're kind of making me think of the, the, the fixed axle days versus the, the non-fixed axle days. It kind of seems like you were one of the, the first, I don't know, founding fathers of yo-yoing who was in the modern era who got started kind of because you had that 20 year gap where you're working on uh, music and, and other stuff. And then once you got in, you happened to be there at the right time and kind of made you like the, the, the Einstein rather than the Newton of the yo-yo world of working with the right tools in the, in the current era. And so that's, I'd say you, oh man, that's so, that's so cool that you were able to come up with these crazy tricks, which now brings me to the transition of um of of gyroflop and how you came up with that how that came around because that is such a outside the box kind of a trick yeah i think i think you know a fun thing about gyroscopic flop is it breaks that plane yeah. uh for for so long yo-yoing existed on just uh two dimensions you know x y uh 
And so, you know, you throw your break away and everything kind of happens either to the left or the right or up or down. And uh, I don't think before the, I mean, kind of before the flop in, in my mind, I can't think of many tricks that kind of uh, broke that, like even going forward or backward uh, with the yo-yo, like, which we do now with like rejections and, you know, kind of uh, wrist elements add kind of a three-dimensional kind of thing, you know, where you're not just literally on two planes. But yeah, being taking that plane and shifting it, that was that was really fun and really exciting for 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 me. And the way that trick came around was actually because of uh, a, a, a juggler uh, named Lau Olivas, who worked for the yo.com, I think, which was a uh, Greg Cohen's yo-yo company. Greg uh, had the largest yo-yo store online, which at the time meant he sold like 25 yo-yos a year or whatever, right? Like up until like the boom, you know, like, so he was like, he just happened to be, when that boom came, he was very well positioned, you know, yeah. and he did, he started the, the world yo-yo contest and, you know, passed that on later. He started this thing called Fiend Magazine, which was a yo-yo magazine. So this is like how big the boom was that there was two yo-yo magazines that you could buy at like Barnes and Noble, like Yo-Yo World and Fiend. Uh, and as part of Fiend, he uh, organized a yo-yo tour that would ride around on the Vans Warped Tour. Uh, so this is 1999. And uh, I can't remember who all was on that tour. I think Pennywise was uh, Rancid, um, less than Jake. So, and, and ice tea, uh, so big outdoor festival and then nine professional yo-yoers touring around with it. And I, I wasn't one of them, but, uh, I knew when they were coming to town and I was really excited to like finally meet, uh, Rick Wyatt, Steve Brown, Mark McBride, uh, you know, all these other players. And, you know, I, uh, this might be going out into the woods, but like when, when the the warped tour came, uh, I had my ticket, which was like $25, but I didn't know you had to pay for parking at these things. It just never occurred to me. I'd never been to like a big festival and parking was 25 or $30. And I did not have like, you know, I, I spent all the money I had on gas money and the tickets to get there. Uh, so, you know, I had to park, you know, a few miles away and I had to walk through this like boggy marsh or a swamp uh, to get to the amphitheater. And things were just like, not awesome. Like it was a hot day. It was a bad start. It was very, you know, humbling because, you know, you're sort of the, as broke as you'll ever be in life. And, you know, being reminded of it with this like kind of painful walk through a swamp and uh, got there and just nobody was really in a great mood. It seemed when I met the other yours, like, I, I guess I'd hope they'd be as excited to meet me as I was to meet them. But like, they all just kind of seemed like, you know, they were halfway through the tour. And I think they were just kind of like in that slump. Um, it just was not, it just didn't go great. Like I didn't share tricks with anyone. No one showed me any tricks. Like no one had any, you know, just all this yo-yo conversation. I was like excited to get out of, you know, get, get out of it. Like none of it happened. And so I think after like an hour, you know, I just, uh, uh, you know, started walking back to my car and in the parking lot, I, I bumped into this guy and he, uh, had a yo-yo and it turned out he was like going to be inside, but he was taking a little break. His name was Lau and he was the most upbeat person I met that whole day. And, you know, one of the most uh, positive people I've met in my life. And, uh, you know, we showed some yo-yo tricks and, you know, the day turned around really quickly and he pulled out a yo-yo that Duncan sent him. It was a top that Duncan sent him. It was a prototype of a spin top that had a ball bearing in it, which was brand new. 
And he did this trick called the gyroscopic flop that he made up um, with, with the top. And uh, it's very similar to the gyroscopic flop of the yo-yo. Like, uh, y- you know, he throws a, throws a spin top, catches in his hand, kind of puts a wrap around the bearing, around the, the bearing axle, um, pulls the string tight, and the top flips uh, 360, and then he catches it back in his hand. And he, you know, he showed me this thing that he just made up, I guess, a week before we met, because he just got that top. And he even, you know, when I talk to him now, he's like, yeah, that's one of those things that anybody would have found. Like, I just happen to have that prototype. Like, it's one of those things where technology just got to that point where you could do that and making the top flip just made a lot of sense. And the second I saw him do that, I just recreated it with the yo-yo. Like, I knew exactly, I knew the bind I had to do and, you know, all the elements kind of came together. And so, you know, I did, I did that. And he's like, oh, you've already been doing this trick. I'm like, no, I like totally... I just saw you do it and I knew exactly like it had to be done with the, with the yo-yo. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where the gyroscopic flop, you know, really kind of came from as it crossed over from one hobby to another. Uh, and it was even done by a guy who was on a yo-yo tour and he invented the trick and he never even thought about like, you know, <laughs> like, Hey, I can do this with the yo-yo. It never occurred to him or whatever. I guess it just, you know, like it, it just coming up with, it was like super hard probably. And it just didn't occur to him like, Oh, you know, this could be done with anything. And so a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of my tricks and stuff probably had crossover from other interests, but none quite as literal as like seeing somebody do a top trick and then just doing it like yeah. <laughs> right in front of them on a yo-yo. That's, that doesn't happen often. That man, that would have been crazy to even just seen like uh, Steve Brown and Mark McBride and all those people all at the same yeah. place and you, oh my God, that would be <laughs> <laughs> that'd be Me amazing with like mud up to my knees oh yeah in a bad mood <laughs> <laughs> god uh that's awesome so what uh it's a kind of that crossover that you're talking about i think you mm-hmm. mentioned that that played into sort of astro style which could you go into what that is and and what it became sure uh well and where so yeah, Astro Style is um, freehand or uh, counterweight yo-yoing or 5A yo-yoing, um, where you have, instead of the, the weight being tethered to the end, uh, the weight slides and you have like a secondary weight at the end that's tethered. And for me, that's usually like half the size of, or half the weight of the main weight. And I try to get something that feels like when I'm playing Astro, I want it to feel like 5A except I can throw the thing. So I, I, you know, I don't have the super heavy two sets of weights. I try to get something that feels kind of like it was something I would use normally. And yeah, I think the first Astro trick, well, well so f- 5A or counterweight play is something that Steve Brown found. Um, and the story is that like he was in Vegas, saw a canceled casino die. And when you're in Vegas and they, they, you know, stop using dice, they drill a hole through them so that, you know, they don't get used by accident. And then these became kind of cool souvenirs. Mm-hmm. And so Steve was in Vegas and found one of those and threaded a yo-yo through it. And right away, like figured out that like by not being attached to the string, uh, but you know, to your finger, uh, you could do all this cool stuff. And so I was kind of taking all of Steve's inspiration um, with 5A, which I, you know, I always love 5A. It's like one of my favorite styles of tricks uh, or, you know, favorite styles. And so I kind of was building on that and then just, by putting the sliding thing on there, it was just like, it just opened up more stuff you could do. 
um, the first the first sliding trick was the martini. And that's still like when I'm teaching Astro, like I did a workshop yesterday and I taught Astro. Uh, we started with a martini glass, which is literally just a picture trick with the yo-yo sleeping at the end of the string. You know, it's not even mounted. It's just like a sleeping yo-yo and you, you know, make a martini glass and a, and a stir and you drop the sliding weight and the sliding weight kind of lands right in the funnel of the glass. And it looks like an olive, right? Like that was the beginning of Astro style was just a picture trick. And, and for me, I, you know, as I think about it now, the whole beginning of Astro style was because I didn't like the way Steve attached the counterweight. And so I just like made a big knot. I tied a big knot at the end instead of like um, kind of wrapping around and locking it in. And of course, there you have the risk that if the knot's not big enough, the counterweight could pull through and, you know, you like throw a breakaway and the yo-yo just flies to your left and you're holding like the counterweight. But the upside was you could do tricks like the martini where, you know, because it wasn't attached, you could kind of pinch the string and let it slide. And, you know, very quickly I was like, okay, well, I need a second weight just to keep it from literally just to keep the, the, the string from pulling through. And that's where I was like, oh, I can actually use the second weight, uh, as a, as a thing. Um, so, so yeah, that's, and you were talking about the, the crossover, uh, I was doing, uh, Astro style, which at the time we were still just calling like, you know, freehand or counterweight, um, and, uh, Dave, you know, Seth, Seth Peterson saw me at a yo-yo contest in Minneapolis. He saw me doing this trick that literally you're like, um, kind of like holding the string and kind of bouncing your hand up and down. And the two counterweights kind of like orbit around each other in this weird way. Cause one's sliding and the other's tethered. And he's like, oh, you're still doing that Astro crap. Um, because Astro Jacks was a, you know, a toy that was kind of coming around and was going to be the next big yo-yo. And, uh, so he was kind of making fun of me for doing Astro Jacks. And uh, the, the, the term Astro just seems so perfect for, you know, so I ditched the Astro crap <laughs> yeah. and just called it Astro. <laughs> we should call all sliding dice uh, Astro crap from now on. Astro yeah, Astro yeah. crap is the, uh, you know, if you want to be, you know, purist to Seth's thing. And I was, you know, at a toy fair doing a toy demonstration in, you know, New York Toy Fair 2001, I think, or maybe 2000. And um, I think this is before, I think this is even before Astro, but, uh, you know, I, I liked Astro Jacks. I thought Astro Jacks were kind of cool. I never really put much time into them, but, it, you know, like Kendama, like, I think it's cool. I just don't do it. Um, so Astro Jacks were kind of big and they had a huge booth at Toy Fair. And as a yo-yo demonstrator, I, you know, walked over and watched their demonstrators do their thing. And uh, one of them was like, oh, you're a yo-yoer. Check this out. And he did a trick called the Matrix. And I was like, I have a trick called the matrix on a yo-yo. He's like, Oh, you invented that. Like, I'm just copying your trick. So like, uh, he's, he was a Astro Jacks player who watched a yo-yo or do the matrix. He was like, Oh, cool. I'm going to figure out how to do that on Astro Jacks, which is not a spinning toy. He yeah. did something that I recognized visually as the matrix. Like I was like, Holy crap. That's like very similar to a trick I do. And, uh, <clears throat> so you crossed over and then, you know, not because of him, but just kind of another layer of crossover was, you know, a year later, I, you know, started doing Astro style, which was probably inspired pretty heavily by Astro Jacks. I, although, you know, that being said, I really should learn some Astro Jacks tricks. I've never liked, I've never looked at those. I wonder what would happen now that I've been doing Astro for like, you know, 18 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I actually learned Astro Jacks, what, what would the style look like? You know, who's really, really good at Astro Jacks, like incredible is Anthony Rojas. 
he cool he has the same kind of like super smooth beautiful style but done with astro jacks i've never seen someone do it so like elegantly um yeah very similar to his kendama play too um man that's awesome so i guess what i'd say is what you've you've made all these different tricks all these different styles i also eventually want to talk about mobius and um i don't know all, all the other things you've created but what's kind of your approach to creating tricks i think you mentioned like three mm. things that uh of like how he tricks come about i have them written down if you need a reminder yeah well you know i i was just thinking about this recently and uh kind of for the first time kind of pieced together that most of my tricks kind of fall in terms of the creation they kind of fall into like three categories i think um one is the trick just pops into my head and then i just have to figure out how to do it and that's kind of the easy i don't know which one's the easiest but it's nice when the trick's like there you know what the trick is and all you have to do is like piece it together. It's like putting together a puzzle, you know, like, uh, or a crossword puzzle, you know, like you have certain clues, you know, other tricks that you've done, other things you've done in your history. And so you kind of know parts of it and you just have to figure out what's that three letter gap there or whatever. What's that, what's that move that makes this thing in my head actually happen in the real world. So like fully formed mental tricks that you have to translate as one, one type of thing that happens. And, uh, another thing is, uh, tricks that you um, kind of accidentally find, uh, which is a lot of my tricks. Uh, the washing machine really came from an accident of doing a UFO too long and the yo-yo unwound and fell out of the loop and kind of hit the ground spinning. Um, so then it was just like, it was kind of similar to the fully formed idea, you know, in that, um, and that you know once you once i saw it i was like oh cool how do i make that happen on purpose but like you know it the, the it was an accident that i stumbled on it um and you know the other the other thing is kind of like uh letting tricks write themselves is kind of the other thing so quite a few tricks that i've been stuck on for like like now that i'm trying to create uh are tricks that i have a really awesome mount but the mount isn't the trick i'm like this sets me up for something what does the trick want to be or whatever? And, you know, I'm kind of waiting for, you know, just kind of like you, you, you find yourself doing the same mount or series of moves just constantly. And then you stop and you're in a thing and you're just like, I don't know, do I go forward? Do I go like just trying to let the trick tell you what it wants to do. Uh, and I think, you know, skin the gerbil sort of told me what it wanted to do. Uh, you, once I, you know, once I was kind of in one thing, I felt like, well, let's do that on the other side. Okay, well, let's do that on the first side again, but with a variation, like everything just sort of was like based on what had happened. It just kind of went to write itself. Branding would be more of like, oh, I, I have this idea where this slack loop travels, you know, around my hand and then I catch it again. Uh, and so like that was piecemealing stuff. So yeah, kind of my tricks kind of fall into either they just pop into my head and then I just have to figure out how to do it or I accidentally do something and then you're just trying to figure out like the hard part. Those are probably the hardest is trying to figure out like you've probably done that, like where you're like doing something. You're like, what was that? And you weren't yeah. recording and you weren't really thinking, you know, so like your mind is sort of on pause, but you're just like you're looking at your hands and you're like, how did I get here? And then you spend the next two days trying to figure out how you got back into that thing. Yeah. Uh, and then and then, the you know, the final one just being like letting the trick just tell you what it wants to do, which is a bunch of trial and error that, that one's really painful is the, the trial and error one usually yeah for me 
that's uh, uh the the last episode was with um jonathan Sitongong, and he that's what he does he just gets into a complicated mount and then he trial and errors his way through every possible permutation of what you can do and then creates the tricks from that and it ends with these incredibly beautiful complex tricks but that process is just so so hard to go through mm -hmm. um man that's tough but uh but yeah so that's that's great just kind of knowing what your process is going through that of like so it was it was having the trick kind of tell you what they want uh finding them by by accident right and then the third one was just like having it pop in your head is that sort of correct yeah okay yeah and, and no tips for having a trip pocket pop into your head it's just like you know you're just walking around and all of a sudden you're like oh my god and you like put down everything you think kind of, you're like that's just you know that just kind of <laughs> happens um but i think the the accidental one is kind of the, the maybe the most fun or you know the accidental one is oftentimes like you're trying to learn someone else's trick and instead you find something new and mm -hmm. and uh so i think i have an advantage and that i have a terrible like i'm terrible at learning other people's tricks <laughs> people yeah. send me something and i just like instantly mess up um but you know because because i'm trying something new uh i end up kind of going like well this isn't what i wanted to do but this is pretty cool that's uh something i think i mentioned this on the pod before but a lot of magicians love learning from books because it forces you to really put yourself through where the person who wrote that book came from and similar to learning tricks but with a with a magic book it's also really really hard same with the yo-yo book to get it exactly how it was originally presented or how it was originally created and so you end up learning mistakes but then you practice the hell out of those mistakes and they now become a new way to do the trick and then sometimes those tricks, you bring them back to the original creator and you go, oh, here, I'm doing your trick. And they go, you're not doing my trick. You're doing something totally different. That's also amazing. So um, yeah. that's that's definitely something of like learning things wrong isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's almost like evolution. The little accidental edits in your genes turn into a brand new species. Um, man, that's great. So uh, one other little thing that popped into my head is where did the the name branding come from uh so there was there was a yo-yoer named brent dellinger who was built for competition and i guess this is 99 well 98 99 2000 and maybe 2001 but he was just like super fast uh could be technical but he knew exactly how to best composes tricks to win contests so like i think he was capable of being better than he was when he was on stage he like he didn't have to be his best he just had to not miss right and you know be fast and he had this slack trick uh that was over his wrist and he would he wouldn't mount anything but he would kind of like throw around and kind of like have this big loop over his wrist and he'd let go and he'd move his wrist in a circle causing this kind of trail of whip to kind of or slack to whip around mm -hmm. and then he'd catch it back in his other hand like he'd stick his whole hand in the other side um and so we we saw him doing that on stage and uh it was like this kind of flourishy trick and i, I guess slack tricks were were new and we in the early days of slack 
people were doing these like really stupid slack tricks kind of, you know, cause there were just big flourishy things, but there really wasn't anything being done. It was like just slack, 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 slack. And the yo-yo wasn't really doing anything. You know, all the slack was happening. So we were making fun of Brent by copying his trick and just like doing it like, you know, two slack air whips in the air and like a slack whip, but you catch it under your leg or whatever. And we called it the Brent. Uh, and it was my, my, uh, my friend Brandon Moreau and myself were doing this. And then I was like, oh, you know, like you could actually do that trick, but in a trick, you could actually be in a one and a half mount. And so I, as soon as I came up with that, I figured out how to mount it so that the whip wouldn't twist around your finger. And that's where Brandon came from was like, it started off making fun of Brent and we called, you know, the, the move he did, I have no idea what he called it, but we called it the Brent. And so when I showed this move to Brandon Moreau, I called it the Brandon, but then eventually it got shortened to branding because it was very confusing that like, well, wait, Brandon didn't create this trick. Why is it, you know, like, okay, okay, branding. So that's where the name came from. And, you know, just kind of coming back to this recently, I have been watching Brent Dellinger videos, trying to find this, you know, kind of, cause I talk about this history a lot and I can't find a single video of Brent Dellinger doing this move that we have been making fun of him for. He definitely didn't do it in 98, 99, 2000, or 2001 in the World Yo-Yo Contest or Chico and Nationals. He definitely didn't do it. And I was certain he did. <laughs> so now I am like, where the hell did we find, find this trick? <laughs> and why did we just like, why did we just assume Brent Dillinger made it? Because we were making fun of him. We were like, oh, Slack is stupid. Uh, and you know, then we ended up finding something kind of cool with it. And so yeah, the whole the whole origin apparently of this trick is like totally under question now because apparently I don't think Brent ever did the, that move. <laughs> That's awesome. I've always wondered where it came from because it's such a like strange name for a yo-yo trick. Not that like skin the gerbil isn't strange, but like it falls in with like rancid milk and all those. But then branding just always came out of nowhere. It almost sounds like like something that is currently happening and it's weird to call a trick something in the like I am branding but I, I am doing branding I I um I used to really love naming yo-yo tricks and now I kind of hate it but it used to be like my favorite part and um because I was a yo-yo demonstrator who was like 21 or 22 and kind of punk and most of my buyers most of my customers were 13 year old kids who just got out of Pokemon or were just about to get into Pokemon. Like, you know, we were just on different wavelengths, right? Yeah. Um, and so they were, they were like really into like cool sounding, you know, this trick's called the super death machine or whatever, right? And I, I remember sometimes being like, I'm gonna try to come up with the coolest trick ever and give it just the lamest name. So the washing <laughs> machine, uh, the, the trick, the washing machine was, I guess, literally like, I was like, oh, these kids kind of like, uh, they dislike moms and, you know, they kind of like, you know, doing clothes is like for moms and, you know, stuff like that. I want to play video games or whatever. So like, I was like, this is going to be the coolest trick ever. It's going to change yo-yoing and I'm going to give it a, a, the most lame name, you know, just clean, clean your clothes, you know, like the washing machine, you know, just associate it with something really lame. And, you know, the trick did not, uh, spoiler alert, uh, catch on or change, change yo-yoing. <laughs> but the whole name was, was just like that. And so, yeah, branding, I don't think it was like a reaction to that. Skin the gerbil was a reaction to a trick called skin the cat. Uh, so there was a yo-yo trick in the trick book that I learned from that we talked about earlier. There was a trick called skin the cat. 
slash tidal wave. So I think they were already kind of changing the name then. But uh, I was like, why is there a trick called Skin the Cat? And people were like, oh, it's just been around. It's just the way it is. I was like, it's a weird name. And no one else seemed to think it was weird. So when I found Skin the Gerbil, or, you know, I called it Skin the Gerbil to specifically get people to be like, that's a gross name. I'm like, hey, you know what else? Like, <laughs> look inside this trick book. Look at this contest and see that Skin the Cat is a required trick there. And no one said anything about that. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, you put a gerbil in there and it's just like, no, that's too far. Uh, so... So yeah, the, that name was very much a reaction to that. And I remember being a little hurt when they changed the name, the gerbil, like I, I should have been just like flattered. It's a big honor. That was like part of the world yo-yo contest compulsory tricks. But instead of being honored, I was like indignant. I was like, what is gerbil? Uh, that's not the name of the trick. And uh, years and years later, like, I mean, maybe two years ago, someone said, Hey, why'd you come up with this trick? And I was like, well, they made I was making fun of this other trick called skin the cat, you know, to show how absurd it was. And the person was like, Oh, did they change the name of that? I was like, yeah, we won. They changed the name to tidal wave. No one calls it skin the cat anymore. And he said, well, why do you call it skin the gerbil still? Like if you won, <laughs> and if your whole point was to make fun of like this terrible name, why, why didn't you go? Okay. Now that we've won, let's, let's come up with a different name for skin the gerbil. So if anybody wants to boycott, you know, skin the gerbil and like, you know, create a new name, I guess I have it coming. Uh, and I, I no longer take offense to people calling it gerbil now. I used to. It's good to know that uh, that washing machine came from you being a punk, and then skin the gerbil and branding both just were born out of mockery of various yeah. people and names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh mocking God. people. That's that's a bummer. As far as well, no, I, I think it's great. Uh, uh also the, i i think naming yo-yo tricks has kind of it reached its peak and then has sort of fallen off there's like trapeze isn't going anywhere but for the most part for example going back to jonathan satangong if I, if he went through and named all his tricks he wouldn't have any time to practice or yo-yo at all mm -hmm. um but, I, I, uh, I would say that you know naming naming tricks or naming combos isn't super useful but you know elements yeah you know definitely should be and i think i think for me it was i i stopped naming things because i felt like i could no longer accurately determine what was and wasn't new so like i'd be like hey everyone here's this new thing and i call it you know doc pops hot new trick or whatever and uh people would be like oh that's that's a thing you've already like that that's already been found. So I felt like I was stepping on people's toes and I couldn't, I couldn't quite keep track of what was, you know, new and, you know, what was something I actually kind of provided to the world and what was something that had already been around that I just rediscovered. Um, so I think because of that, I just kind of stopped naming things. And I, I, I think my thought process was, well, if this is really new and unique as I hope it is, um, that a name will just kind of come out later, you know, but uh, the thing that ended up happening was because I wasn't describing my tricks because I wasn't naming them. Just people weren't learning them and not because of the name, but you sort of have to identify something for it, for other people to kind of go like, oh, I want to learn that thing. So I was getting really butthurt that I was like, I'm doing some of my favorite tricks I've ever come up with and people aren't doing them. And I hadn't even named them or made tutorials for them or like any of that stuff. So like that, that was, a, that was a, now I'm back to like, if I think something is really unique, I definitely want to name it, but I've never really, with the exception of like skin the gerbil, I've never really even made long tricks. I just kind of do 
elements is my thing. And uh, yeah, I should be better at naming my elements now because people are asking me for names or, you know, what's this one called? I'm like, I don't know. And that's not helpful because <laughs> I want people to do it. And yeah. I just feel like they're not going to do it if they don't even know what it's called. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing just on uh, renaming tricks, we were talking about uh, uh, suicide being a, a terrible yo-yo name or yo-yo trick name. And yeah. that Diablo players have already kind of hopped on board and changed the name. What was the the, the new name that we should give for uh, for the yo-yo world? So, so just, just give me a little bit more story here. Uh, uh, suicide came from Diablo. Um, Diablo had a trick where they, you know, let go and caught it again and, and they called it suicides. Um, and Paul Escalar adapted that to a yo-yo trick and kept the name, you know, kind of like gyroflop came from tops and I kept the name or whatever. Um, so Paul Escalar created suicides for yo-yoing. And for me, I remember being on stage, uh, you know, an MC at a big yo-yo contest. And I remember like, these are like, you know, 12 year old kids and their parents are like, you know, yeah, hit that suicide or whatever. And I was like, this is a really weird, that's a weird thing, like in context, right? Like, and uh, probably it was on my mind because my friend, um, uh, Heron, Harry Houdini, uh, who's a yo-yoer uh, and, you know, his, his name was Ryan, but he, he went by Harry Houdini he had, you know, committed suicide and we lost a few other yo-yoers to suicide. So I guess it was kind of on my mind because a lot of yo-yoers seemed to, and I don't think they were doing it because of the trick name, right? But yeah. it just felt like, it felt like, oh, this is a weird name for a trick. It was just on stage reading the tricks and being like, okay, next up is this 12 year old competitor. Let's see him do suicide on stage live in front of all you people. And it just was like, yeah. that's weird. I shouldn't say that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, the, the, I didn't really think about what a new name would be or anything, but I kind of hoped that something would evolve because Diablo, uh, I think kind of organically shifted to calling it a stick release. I don't think anyone, you know, wrote a post or, you know, the, the International Diablo Foundation didn't write anything. It just sort of organically became a uh, stick release. And that's what they call it. They don't call it suicides anymore. Not really. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, you know, kind of hoped that that would happen in, in yo-yoing. Uh, and uh, what, what is it? The, the yo, the yo.com, no, yo tricks, sorry, yo tricks. Uh, they posted a video uh, tutorial of the trick and they called it Slack aside, Slack aside. And, uh, and I saw that and I was like, that works. That works for me. Like that's because like, you know, Paul, Paul's no longer with us, uh, not, not due to suicide, but he's, you know, no longer with us. And, you know, it would really hurt to kind of change the name of his tricks or anything, but like, it feels like slack aside to me. It feels like that's a kind of references something, but it sounds like, you know, you don't think about it, you know, it's, yeah, yeah it sounds safer. Uh, it, it does kind of get me thinking. I, we had this debate, uh, Joshi, uh, and Connor and myself had this debate about the history of slack tricks. And they were counting slack aside and suicide as like a slack trick. And I was firmly like, no, that is not a slack trick. That's a, it's a different thing. So that, that's the one, <laughs> the one thing on my mind is like, yes, I like the name, but I still don't think it's a slack trick. <laughs> oh my, well, what would you define a slack trick as? Uh, a slack trick to me has a uh, slack that's created by a pinch. Um, there's no tension. It's slack. And a suicide to me, not only is there no pinch, which I kind of use as my definition, but it's, it's not 
something that can hold itself. It's only being held like the, the, the string is only being kind of kept in place by, by the movement and friction that's caused there where a slack trick, you could stop at any moment and you have slack. Like uh, you can move the trick around like, and kind of move the slack with it. But the definition of it being a slack trick in my mind is that there's, you know, there's slack that's there because you're pinching uh, and not just because for a second you took your hand out and then you put it back in and you said, well, I wasn't touching it. So it's slack. Like it's a, you know, something that you can hold and keep and it'll stay slack forever. That's to me a slack trick. I see. So like a whip, like an iron whip, a, a 1.5, 2.5, et cetera, whip, none of those would be slack tricks. Right. Those, I mean, so yeah, you would have whips. Uh, and I think, um, I would think like lacerations would fall under whips. You know, some people say lacerations would be their own things, but, uh, you know, either way, I don't think a whip and a laceration are slack because they're, because there's, they're, they're only being kind of kept there by, uh, by, by tension or whatever they're not there because you actually have slack in the string. That's, you know, you're holding slack, um, iron whip, uh, it, in the early days, I'd forgotten all about this, but in the early days of iron whip, if you did it and you pinched the string, it was a deduction. You did the trick wrong. So like the definition of iron whip was that, you know, like you hop the yo-yo up and you move your hand so fast that it whips it. And if you pinch to create slack, then that's cheating. So like to me from the start, it was sort of saying like, no, this isn't slack slack. If you're doing it slack, you're doing a different trick. Um, I see. So like, yeah, when they were doing contest compulsories, there was just like, it was the judge had to eye it. You know, there's a very subtle difference between, you know, using a little bit of friction or not to do that. And then uh, some people had a hard time with iron whip, which again, you know, you're kind of like in a one handed trapeze, you hop the yo-yo up and you really quickly whip the string and catch it again. Um, and, uh, some people had a hard time with that, especially if they couldn't pinch it. So, um, Cappy, David Capurro, in one of his old videos, he had like this cheating version of iron whip. He started in a trapeze and he pinch and he actually pinched the string and he would just do this like really obvious slack, you know, whip <laughs> that was totally different. It was him. He's like, look, I can't do iron whip. I call this cappy whip, I think is what he called it or, you know, something like that. And so to me, that's the first slack trick, uh, you know, not, not, not suicide and not iron whip. Cause those are tension tricks or whatever. Slack is, uh, yeah, slack is, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's good. It's, it's a good name. It's going to, it's going to be hard to catch on. Hmm? <laughs> How about whip aside? Whip aside. Yeah. Well, whip is fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. That's, that's going to be hard for me to call it slack aside. I have to remind myself, but I think, yeah. I think people who are learning now, I think like 10 years from now, I think the, the yo tricks is obviously very influential. Uh, yeah. and I, I think people are just going to call it slack aside. Uh, DNA was called what tornado bind. Uh, nobody calls it that. Like sometimes tricks just change. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Justin Dower did it on a, some TV show or YouTube show. I think it was TV or streaming or something. They called it a uh, a hurricane. <laughs> hurricane. So it's it, that's what it was so, called. The original name was hurricane. Really? I think so. Not well, tornado. There we go. Man, he's got <laughs> there the the producers of those shows of of that show. It's probably a good yo-yo historian in that case. Um, <laughs> man, so that's awesome. Uh, I say that's awesome quite a bit. 
noticed that doing this podcast it's like get into these verbal things of just like i want to go to the next thing uh 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 Let's talk about, well, one thing, a few things I wanted to hit on from when you were talking about the, the trick creation process, it made me think of, and I, I always love to give like further reading for people. There is a book called um, uh, the, the Serious Guide to Joke Writing by Sally Holloway. It's really good if anyone's interested in like adding, you know, uh, jokes into, I don't know, if you want to learn how to write jokes and something that comes up in joke writing is like you never just write one or two jokes and then you're done it's like if you want to write a joke about something you write 15 jokes about it and and hit it from all the different angles and and then none of those are going to be good but then you keep writing more the next day and more the next day and more the next day and then you've kind of like got this this primordial soup of concepts and different angles and then one day those those ideas just pop into your mind um and that was also covered in uh, what's another book that uh, Scott Dicker's How to Write Funny series? He talks about that, um, and uh, Greg Dean's Step by Step Guide to Stand Up Comedy. All those kind of cover this, and those are my favorite comedy writing books. Uh, so yeah. all of them talk about like you just get all those ideas out there, and that's how those happy little accidents come about. Is that you've got all those ideas running around your brain, and not to just sit here and tell people how to be creative but like that's a good way to assist those those little uh, uh what were you calling it the, the kind of the accidental tricks that come through like it's not yeah. really an accident there you gotta yeah. fill your tap your well and then it'll start pouring out water at you um so just there, there's there's something i want to say about that if it's if it's okay uh oh, please. so writing comedy is one of those things where people are like, oh, you can't write a book on how to be funny or whatever. That's you're either funny or you're not or whatever. And they really miss that you actually can kind of like use like creative structures. I mean, I'm not saying, uh, you know, some, some people rely on like, you know, uh, structures to kind of being creative. And I, I guess I do to a certain extent. But what I'm saying is that there a lot of that stuff crosses over surprisingly well, like a book on improv or a book on comedy writing can cross over surprisingly well to something as totally different as yo-yoing. And as an example, like you, you were talking about how, um, if you forced yourself to like learn, you know, uh, or try a different wrist mount trick every day for a year, you'd probably find something really cool, right? Because like, you just were really in that zone. So that's like an example of like how you could take something like that and kind of adapt it to yo-yoing. For me, the, one of the big kind of comedy rules and this goes over, I mean, it's not just comedy, but like I think of it as comedy is like the rule of three um, yeah. where you, you don't want to just make your joke and walk away. You want to make your joke, have another toss out about that joke and another toss out. Like you kind of that third one, for some reason, you know, three is in, in for performers and artists, three is just like this magical number um, in art. Whenever you're like as an illustrator, whenever you're like, oh, I want to draw a rock on the ground you know, as you know, like detail, but if I draw, draw one rock, it looks like, uh, it looks like there's something special about that rock. If I draw two rocks, it looks wrong. If I draw four rocks, it looks wrong. Three is the magical number. So like three, again, kind of comes over, not because of the repetition thing, but, but, but the repetition thing for me is whenever I'm doing uh, a repeater, uh, I always think about my tricks as establish the repeater, establish the motion. Maybe it's not a repeater, but establish the motion and then break that expectation. So you do the trick, 
you do it again and people are like, oh, cool. And then you do something that's similar, but the third time you do it inside your arm or the third time you do it, you know, if I'm doing Eli hops, I'll do one big Eli hop. I'll do a second big Eli hop. And then the third big Eli hop I'll catch behind my, my head uh, or whatever. So like your people know what's happening they know what's happening. Well, at first they were like, whoa, what was that? And then they learn it and then you break their expectations. And that's really powerful. So rule, rule of three, which comes out of like writing and, you know, stuff like that uh, is, a, is a thing that I use when I'm designing yo-yo tricks. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. It's almost a, this is again, straight out of the, the UCB improv manual is, uh, but also now I'm, now I'm going to toss in some, some concepts from regression. Uh, I don't know. Uh, why not? So, so if you have a, a line, like if you have two points, let's say that's not really a line like that, that does define that can define a line. But if you have some like data and you're pulling points out of that data, and you have a first point that doesn't really tell you anything if you have a second point then now we like maybe have a general direction but that's not enough data if you have a third point that lines that lies on that same line as the first two then now that's starting to look like an actual trend line you can really see where things are going um so the, but the first two points don't really tell you anything because maybe there's another point and now it's like way way down here and now your your trend line doesn't exist so um one other thing this is again start the the ucb manual is uh, let's say that we're just establishing some pattern of it's uh, three and then six. So you could, you don't really know anything about what this pattern is now. You just know that you have two numbers. If the next number is nine, then now you know three, six, nine, we're adding three every time. But if the next number is 12, then now we know we're multiplying every number by two. So it's like, oh, three, six, 12. But just having three and six, you don't have enough to establish a pattern. And that that they used to, to define some an improv concept called uh, game, which is like just a funny pattern that repeats throughout a, uh, a, a show, um, like naming all the different kinds of cheeses in the Monty Python cheese shop sketch is the game of that scene. Uh, mm. So so that's some that they use there. But some that we can use of like you do one trick, let's say it's a, an Eli hop. Then you do another trick that, I mean, it could be anything, but if you do, uh, you know, a, uh, what's the, the opposite of a, of a Neil I hop, the, the one where it comes in, it's a boomerang. And so now it's like oh, yeah. sort of a similar concept, but a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And then you do an Eli hop where you do it behind your head or you do a pirouette and it's still maintaining that same concept of, of that sort of Eli hop form of a trick, but totally breaking people's expectations of what can be done with that. Um, so I think that's all just good, good theory that we can steal from, from improv yeah, yeah. and from comedy and from all the different fields. And I think, I think yeah, do that to a certain extent and not know it like, uh, uh, black hops, you know, are, are going from like a trapeze to a double or nothing or to one and a half to double or nothing to two and a half, but you're like doing an Eli hop and, you know, catching it on your left, catching it on your right, catching it on your left. And the trick's getting more and more intricate and stuff. Uh, similarly, when you see people do, you know, hooks now, you see a lot of TikTokers do uh, a progression of hooks. It's just kind of a natural thing. Let's do, you know, uh, hit a muscle hook. Let's do the one and a half hook. Let's do the two and a half hook. Let's do that. You know, like they kind of like work their way through. And then, you know, back to that pattern thing, uh, skin the gerbil definitely for me was about like establishing a pattern. Like the trick to, to me is all about catching that 
one and a half we called it a lindy a lindy loop but like catching that extra kind of like double on trapeze and then catching the double on trapeze in the right hand side and then going back to the left hand side but uh breaking that expectation by adding one you know super superfluous uh wrap around or whatever but like that's kind of like establishing something and they expect something but you kind of break it a little bit yep awesome i love getting into that theory stuff um which also just for people listening like this doesn't mean go look at your yo-yos and and start thinking about numbers like <laughs> it's just kind of get that those concepts and i don't know don't be scared to look out for for other things when you're coming up with your tricks um I want to sort of change. Well, let me double check that I've hit all the things I want to hit on here. Um, yeah. So I, I want to kind of change gears and talk about what was your time as a yo-yo demonstrator like? So, so being a yo-yo pro um, usually kind of falls into different categories. Uh, you could be a pro that's just like paid paid by a company to demonstrate a product and like make good videos like TikTok videos or be in their tutorial videos or, you know, make appearances on big TV shows, you know, wearing your company shirt uh, or, or even, you know, getting paid as a pro to go to a contest. The, uh, that is probably where the least amount of money is usually and probably the hardest uh, to kind of actually make a living as. Most pros, most stereo pros are doing bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, uh, birthday parties, car dealership openings. Um, you know, they're, if they're, if they're a performer, they're getting their, their income from, you know, being at a trade show for eight hours, uh, for four days in a row, just yo-yoing at a booth and handing out business cards and stuff. Uh, and, and then there's kind of one more kind of group of people who oftentimes own their own business, but like, uh, they're, their version of being a yo-yo pro is the performance is kind of free. And what they're really trying to do is sell a ton of yo-yos at the end of the performance. Um, so they would go to a school and bring like 200 yo-yos for them to sell at the front desk, or whatever. And they would do their, you know, 15 minute routine and then leave yo-yos and, you know, a week later, come and pick up all the cash. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I, I think, the the people who are doing that now kind of have their own small yo-yo companies so they they own the production and the you know the, the performer uh so uh i i can't remember i was a guy tyler on the east severance. coast is doing that i can't oh, uh tyler severance yeah. is kind of doing that now so that that's the most sustainable way to be a pro like not many people are going to be paying rent by going to the world yo-yo contest and doing that and you know, TikTok has kind of changed things up. Maybe you can make money on that. I don't know how that works. But for me, I guess it was always kind of a combination of those things was how I survived. I definitely had the yo-yo kiosk. So I was selling yo-yos. Um, I did get paid to go to some big convention and yo-yo. And sometimes, you know, that one performance could pay two months rent. Uh, sometimes it was, you know, it'd be really hard to be like, uh, four days, 12 hour days or whatever, uh, your throat's totally sore, you know, from talking all the time and stuff, but like, yeah. Uh, and then, and then that was also a feast or famine when you're that kind of performer for me, cause I wasn't really good at getting those shows. So I'd, I'd get those big shows and, and I'd just be like, God, I hope I get, you know, six more of those this year. So I can, yeah. you know, continue to have a home. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's the kind of pro I was, um, was, you know, standing at kiosks, kind of doing stuff or going to schools and selling yo-yos and stuff like that. And occasionally going to, occasionally going to a toy fair or a convention. Uh, I was never like Steve Brown who got paid to be in, uh, Zoolander and, uh, you know, a few other, a few other films. I never got, I never reached that level of being a yo-yo pro. Yeah, man, that, that, uh, <laughs> which it seems like that's where Justin Dower's going. Uh, but, uh, that concept of working, um, working trade shows and like doing actual performances is so much more common and accepted in the, in the magic community because there's, I think just so many more people doing it, uh, and it's just kind of how that industry is is oriented. And maybe yo-yoing yeah. used to be more like that, but it feels like now everything is focused on contests. If you're yo-yoing, you want to win the world yo-yo contest, and you don't really know why. Uh, you just want to be the best. And but then you have all these people who spent so many hours preparing. Which if they had put that time into like creating a performance and making a website and trying to get gigs, they could probably be making a living yo-yoing. Uh, at trade shows and stuff, but they don't. They're they're focused on I want to to win the yo-yo con the world yo-yo contest. I that's just something I think we could learn so much from uh, from the magic community. Is like if we stop spending our money our money on the new yo-yo and uh, and trying to to go to contests and instead focus on like learning how to how to brand ourselves <laughs> branding uh, and how to how to get gigs and how to. Uh, be better performers and focus on education in, in our community, like the magic community does currently. There's literally at magic conventions, whole lectures on, on marketing. Um, I, I mm -hmm. think the yoga community could get a lot more exposure into the world and we could have a lot more people who are doing it actually full-time professionally. So, um, so I mean, to that, I think yo-yoing skews uh, younger, uh, just kind of naturally. So these people aren't, you know, the most yo-yoers aren't figuring out like how they're going to like make a living with yo-yoing. Uh, so most of you know, it, the bummer to me is that yo-yo, I think the big bummer for me is that yo-yo skews so young and people age out of it. I bet if they didn't, you know, uh, after college, they might be like, oh, I still like yo-yoing. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to do this stuff. But I think the reason that we don't have more like yo-yo performers doing kind of standard stuff is because kids don't want to work trade shows and older people don't want to yo-yo. So that's, <laughs> that's the bummer for me is just, I wish more older folks were yo-yoing. I'd contest that because I think magic skews young too. And, yeah. and still there's, I mean, if you go to the magic castle, there's guys in their eighties, like making a living performing, uh, mm -hmm. doing this, this child's toy, but making an art out of it. Um, I, I think that is definitely a potential future um, that yo-yoing could have. Would you, would you agree with that or, or disagree with that? Or do you think it's like really a, a kid's thing? Well, I don't think it's a kid's thing. I just think that for some reason, people seem to age out of it. And maybe they age out of magic, you know, the same way. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was a kid in magic clubs, um, I think I was the one kid there. And this is, you know, Nashville, uh, Interna international brotherhood of magicians, the, uh, the SAM, which I can't remember what that stands for. Society of uh, magicians. yeah, yeah. Um, I was the youngest person there and, you know, there was just all these old, 
you know, old men uh, at those yep. things. So I just always associated yo uh, magic with being like an old white guy uh, yep. was kind of what I always saw. And, and kind of funny enough, uh, there was three eccentric guys at these clubs that were named Doc. Like it seemed like every, yo -yo, every magic club had a, a Doc and this magic club had three Docs. One was a dentist, one was an orthodontist, and the other was like a brain surgeon or whatever. Or no, probably probably uh, wasn't even medical. I think he was uh, like a philosopher or something. Anyway, I remember as a kid seeing these eccentric old men being like, I want to be cool when I grow up. I want to be a doc. So I, I know that's where my, you know, my name <laughs> doc came from was because as a kid at Yo-Yo, at, at magic clubs, I, I used to see these guys and I was like, I want to be, I want to be like them when I grew up. Mm. And I guess in a way I was. Just not That's, not magic, you know. Yeah, I you, you became oh, and that's actually one more thing I wanted to talk about is, is where your name came from. But it's it's funny that you mentioned that because immediately one of my favorite magicians as a kid was Doc Eason, and then there's another mm -hmm. magician I can instantly think of named Doc Dixon. And it's like all these. I think that kind of part of that just comes from the like sideshow, uh, snake oil salesman kind of people, of um, yeah. This guy named Pop Hayden, another great magician, absolutely worth looking up. Uh, uh, P O P H A Y D N. Uh, he has some awesome routines on YouTube, and uh, I was talking to him when I went to the. I was working backstage at the castle for a friend who's a like a working professional magician, and he was saying his name came from those snake oil salesmen, and often one of those people or that that kind of person would take on a name like like Pop or Doc or something like that in order to because then when people talk about them they're like oh it's pop which is such a like endearing name or doc mm -hmm. which like immediately is garners respect because you assume they have that they're yeah. like a respected member of the community <laughs> and then they go and they start selling your actual snake oil so that's just a little fun bit of history he taught me um so is that where where you where you got yours from not necessarily as a snake oil salesman but just from that inspiration of the magic community I I have been uh, fascinated with quacks and snake oil salesmen. I mean, mostly quacks, like so mostly like 1800s electricity was new and people were like, yeah. uh, you know, we can use radio waves to cure cancer or whatever. Right. Like, I, I think that that fascination has turned to resentment, uh, you know, now, but like, uh, you know, in my twenties or whatever, I was super fascinated with quacks. So it's kind of funny that, I call myself a doc and I don't have a medical degree and I'm fascinated with quacks, but the actual, and, and I, and I have done the doc Popkins character, uh, as you know, part of one of the, for a long time, I think for like 10 years, I was performing as a snake oil salesman who was, you know, folks, I got the cure for what ails you. And I'm like doing a yo-yo routine to sell these medicinal yo-yos was the pitch. Right. And I had a curly mustache and, you know, <laughs> uh tweed outfit and stuff so like i i did that character for a while but the name dr popular very much comes from um i was working at a cafe in a bookstore like a barnes and noble with a starbucks attached to it <clears throat> and i saw this uh you know pretty woman about my age uh looking at vonnegut books and i just read the book she was looking at so i like you know, nudged my coworker. I'm like, check this out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to her about that book. And I walked over to her uh, and then just kind of stood there awkwardly, kind of cleared my throat, never got acknowledged. 
And then I just turned around and came back. And I was like, yeah, that's why they call me Dr. Popular. <laughs> you know, so just like totally like sarcasm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's, where the, that's where the name totally came from. It's just me making fun of myself. <coughs> that's amazing. Uh, I love these name backstories. <laughs> Uh, so, so switching gears, well, not really switching gears. Uh, what would you say, you had a great answer to this in the pre-interview. What is your kind of go-to trick set when someone asks you to show them something? Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's a no brainer for me. I like big, yeah. easy tricks. <clears throat> so if someone says, Hey, can you walk the dog? I'm like, yeah, but this is so much cooler. And then I'll do, uh, usually I can't remember for sure, but I think it's like the three Eli hop combo, which is sort of like uh, Eli hop, Eli hop, Eli hop, catch it behind the head and pause. Uh, and then, you know, uh, while, while they're kind of like freeze. processing that. Yeah. Uh, then I, you know, what do I do? Oh, uh, I think I usually then go to a front style combo, which is a boingy boing, um, which I'll hold, you know, for as long as I think it's kind of, interesting or clicked with them you know it holds in terms of like i'll do it for as many beats as as it feels right and then i'll go to a mach 5 so you know i've gone from like great big trick that goes really high up you know like takes up a lot of space to boingy boing which is a very fast trick that that doesn't take up much space it's kind of happens very controlled in front of you and then i'll go to mach 5 so you're taking that high speed boingy boing and you're just going whoa real slow Mach 5. And then I usually end it with like my throw hand in front. I'm in the Mach 5 and I pull the string and I do a gyroscopic flop that goes kind of up and above my throw hand. So it kind of like looks like it's flopping along or going around my arm. And that's usually my combo. Yeah, no, no, um, no spin, no finger spins. I'm sure finger spins are great. I have no problems with them. Uh, I just can't, I can't nail those. Like I can nail everything else. <laughs> you can't nail them. <laughs> yeah, I can't nail them. Uh, More specifically, I can, I can hit the finger spin. It's the, that DNA bind. I can't, I can't nail. It's a, it drives me nuts. That's a, gotta, gotta get in that. It's such a fun trick. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a good audience pleaser, but again, to, to the point of the classics being classics, like Mach 5 and Boingy Boing are still amazing. No one, if someone hasn't seen those tricks, it's like, I'm sure you know the ambitious card routine. Uh, one of the, the all-time classics of magic that you take, take a card, put it in the middle of the deck. Oh, it's at the top of the deck. And then you do that like a bunch of different times in different ways. That's like every magician has an ambitious card routine. And that's always a great go-to when you're, when you're performing for somebody. And it's the same with like Mach 5. That's always going to be an amazing trick because it has that kind of rule-breaking, physics-bending kind of appeal. Same with gyroflop. And then Boingy Boing is always beautiful. And Eli Hop is huge and, and gets people going. Like those tricks are classics for a reason. You can always get the, the audience to, to get excited about those. Plus, they're easy for us. So we can always hit them. Uh, I, love, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Um, so could you tell me a little bit about how, like, how you've seen the community change over time? Um, 
I, I don't remember, you know, I always kind of think about the community being online, um, but in all actuality, it wasn't really online for me until I was in it for like three years or two years, I think. <clears throat> so like the first two years felt kind of remote and like regional. And then even when it was online, it felt like uh, we knew about releases. So we knew about contests, but we still had regional styles. Um, you know, the, the Midwest had a pretty strong style. The, you know, Alameda spin docks very specifically had a style then you know la kind of was very similar to that um so that the the kind of regionalization like oh uh the the pro yo dudes in arizona had their own style like you know very flashy uh kind of old school good performance tricks um so so yeah it was uh it, it, that's a thing that i kind of remember a lot it was just even though we were always online and sharing videos it still sort of felt like um you could tell where somebody was from by the way they go. Uh, and, you know, I, I think about like all the people that are just kind of like out of the scene. Uh, so, you know, like that's the thing that's changed. It's just that like a lot of my old friends just don't yo-yo anymore or whatever. And then I have new friends and then they're gone. Uh, and, you know, obviously the rise of boutique yo-yos uh, is, it, it, you know, kind of starting with anti-yo. It felt impossible for a company that wasn't just massively invested, it felt like impossible for them to actually make a yo-yo. And I mean, I guess there was Diffie Yo, but like uh, Anti-Yo sort of felt like the first small boutique brand. You know, people were willing to spend more for it because it was kind of like a fashion accessory. I guess they were kind of like, uh, they came out of like fashion culture and they knew that people would spend a lot of money for like limited edition shoes. So they kind of brought that to yo-yoing. Um, and that's kind of where we are still. Uh, I think boutique brands are, you know, like these, these, these small brands, I think are oftentimes um, not marking up as much as we should be uh, because our costs aren't as good as yo-yo factories, but we're competing with yo-yo factory to an extent. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the, it's, it's, it's hard for us uh, to, to actually have a business because we're charging so cheap. It's still like mostly a novelty. Um, but yeah, the, those are, those are kind of the things that come to mind when I think about how yo-yo has changed. And then, I mean, <clears throat> the big change was, was always for me, like, uh, when binds came around, like, so I came into yo-yoing right after a big change. So I didn't even know it was a big change. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was some people, if they were yo-yoing a year before me would have resented, you know, this new technology and they, you know, like, oh, well you know, you, you're not so good if you can't do that on a wooden yo-yo or whatever. It was kind of their thing. Uh, and that that was always a bummer, but I was like on the opposite side of that. I was like the new person being like, well, I don't care. I'm just having fun. Uh, and when Binds came around, luckily I got very, I, I, I appreciated Binds pretty early on uh, because there was a lot of people that were like yo-yoing for about the same time as I was. Like they started at the same time. And when Binds came around, it's like, oh, that looks sloppy. I don't want to learn that. And so like, that was like, this like split and you know the old yo-yo players like thinking about dale i remember it was like three or four years after kind of binding had started becoming kind of a thing in yo-yoing that dale kind of uh tapped on my shoulder at a world yo-yo contest dale oliver uh he, he tapped on my shoulder he's like doc can you teach me how to bind because i'd seen him for years talk shit about binding and like now he's like like kind of ashamed but like 
I always appreciated that about him. I think that was the time I, I really learned to kind of like him because I never really talked to him that much before. But I remember him being kind of like he felt oppositional in my mind. And then here's a person who had been oppositional and vocal about binds and then said, you know what, I'm going to learn this. And then really got into it when he when he, you know, binded for the first time, he was so excited. Uh, and the rest of the contest, I saw him kind of practicing binds, you know, and like, I was like, that's awesome. I hope I hope that if I've been yo-yoing for 50 years and some, you know, new new kids come and create something, I hope that I'm like able to kind of learn it and not just be stuck in my way. But yeah, bind was the biggest shift. And the reason I, I got into binds, I hated them too, until Dave Poiser created the kind of standard bind. I, I don't know what the name for it is now. We called it the Poiser bind. Uh, but it's like the standard breakaway bind that everyone does. Binds up until that point were the wrong side of the bind. Uh, just like I'm going to be in a trapeze and then I'm going to take my hand and make some circles around the yo-yo oh. and hope that my, right. It wasn't the back bind. It, it was just like, oh, it was brutal, man. Oh, it was hideous. <laughs> it was terrible to look at. Like I hated it because it was very much like when you did that bind, if, if you're watching a contest, when someone does that bind, it's a 50, 50 chance, no matter how good they are. It's a 50, 50 chance that that yo-yo is going to sleep on their next throw. Like it's not <laughs> like, and then the back bind came and it's like, oh, this is like so precise and controllable. If the yo-yo is really responsive, you just don't pinch. If the yo-yo is really unresponsive, you pinch a little bit and you kind of make up for it. Like that's to me when I was like, oh, binding is the, the that's how everybody should be yo-yoing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the big change. You know, and obviously not controversial now. It oh, is absolutely. weird now that we're in a spot where when you're teaching a beginner, you have to figure out early on Am I going to teach them bind or not? Like that sucks. If you teach one of your friends, you you might have to be like, oh, I don't know what yo-yo to get them, you know? Yeah. Responsive or not. My troubles, I have no uh, responsive yo-yos. I only have res uh, unresponsives. And so like, if I'm teaching someone, it's gonna, the first trick has to be a bind. But I, yeah. I was kind of presented like, uh, this is this is the first one, and then it opens up everything else. But you got to get this. If you can get this, you can learn any other trick. And so then they kind of take that on as the challenge of it. But it would be nice to buy a bunch of semi-responsive yo-yos and just give them out to people if if they're interested. Do the in spin learning. star, the yo-yo factory spin star uh, okay. on yoyofactory.com. They're doing the amazing sale because it's May. Mm -hmm. And I think you get 10 spin stars for $25 what? and they are great yo-yos. They are I'll fantastic yo-yos. I actually, I actually like them for like modern responsive play for like my style of play that I like to do, but like for handing out to kids. Oh yeah. They're fantastic. Man. That's, that's great. I know, <clears throat> uh, uh, Richard Picasso is, he, he bought a bunch of yo-yos with his, his logo on the side and he hands those out around around new york so <laughs> he just walks around and if anybody asks for him he just gives them out to to people so that's a good thing to for people to uh, uh maybe adopt um i'll definitely look into that sale though that's great um you do a lot of modern responsive and like responsive 5a stuff which mm -hmm. i was watching some of your videos and it's like 
so good. There was one video you posted really recently, like really recently. It was like just such a cool trick. What's kind of the the approach that you have with that, and why why like focus so much in that niche 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 style niche style? <laughs> I think it's niche. Uh, so I mean, like for me, gravitating towards niche uh, has always made it easier to find new things, which is always kind of the most interesting thing. So like, I'm less interested in, <clears throat> you know, learning, like some people are really like, I want to learn all the tricks and I've never been good at that. So I just want to find some cool tricks. And by going to a, uh, an aspect that people aren't doing, that just kind of makes it easy to do. Uh, so like all my life, I've always kind of gravitated towards like, uh, if I'm juggling, you know, I kind of went towards contact juggling or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, just always kind of like to the, the 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 niche, and responsive for me has been <clears throat> something I did. Uh, I, I did a video called Weave, uh, W E A V E, uh, and I think that was in like 2010. It's, it's one of my favorite videos that I've done. And I remember at the end of the the video, it's a clip video, but I remember at the end I had a dollar store yo yo, and I remember doing a set in the clip video that I watch now, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much modern responsive viewing, right? Like. You know, like it's been a thing I kind of forgot I was doing, but I was like doing a lot of the same moves then that I do now. Like, so stalls and, you know, stuff like that. No kickflips. Uh, kickflips is like a thing that I still can't do. And that, that really kind of made that style kind of become, I think, more solid. So at that time, it was just like, I'm going to take a cheap yo-yo and see what I can do with it. Um, and, you know, show that even a non-sleeping yo-yo can kind of still have some potential. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh i kind of forgot about it for a while i i don't like to think too much about like being pure with like wood or like old school versus new school i just like weird and so i think i kind of associated a lot of that responsive stuff with with old school play and so i kind of kind of stayed away from it and then when drew and ed kind of really started showing you could be creative with it i got back into it and um i think it's just luck that i was like, oh, I wonder how this works with a counterweight because it works so perfectly with a counterweight that like, I never would have thought, you know, I never would have thought like, uh, um, you know, part of me might have been like, oh, let's take these two weird styles and put them together. But I'd say like responsive freehand is very natural. Like it, if it just works really well and it looks a lot like Kandama, you're doing a lot of like stalls when you catch a Kandama ball on the cup, it's very similar to like a stall and I don't know, it's just a lot to it. That's, I'm not literally catching the counterweight in the cup of the yo-yo, but otherwise I feel like, you know, Kandama players can kind of be like, oh, I can kind of see the appeal there. Um, and yeah, I think partially I got into it because it seemed like an unexplored territory, but right now it's like my favorite way to yo-yo. And it happens to be 5A or 5A May. So like I am doing a lot of like counterweight stuff this, this month, mm -hmm. but like every time I go out the door, you know, you've got that choice. You've got like three yo-yos by your keys, you know, and you're like, I'm going to grab the responsive counterweight and, you know, that's going to be my throw for the day. That's just kind of the way I like to throw now. It, it kind of bums me out that it's so niche. It would be cool if it was like, you know, it, at this point, I would love to see more people doing, doing it. Uh, but it, I think for a lot of people, responsive is already kind of niche and counterweight is scary for some people and doing the two, they're like, oh no, I have to master both of those things before I dare try, you know, responsive counterweight i'm like no you don't like it's totally different yeah. 
like Ever. you could totally do this and not know how to do anything with like a freehand counterweight it's the, all the different <clears throat> styles are completely different toys <laughs> so like mm-hmm. yeah it looks the same but totally totally different um man it's such a cool style too i i love all the work that you're doing with that and everybody who's who, who's pushing modern responsive play is so interesting um what the the new stuff that's coming around it's crazy all the stuff that didn't get discovered back when there was just responsive and how much my, like, my... unresponsive yo-yos are now being played into to responsive like that just shows yeah. how much you can learn from different styles but what were you gonna say <laughs> We were talking earlier about how, you know, once someone broke the four minute mile, like people all of a sudden it felt like people could do it. I think the thing that we're leaving out sometimes is there's a parallel advancement, not just of this, the athletes, but of the technology that made yeah. that, that possible, like shoe wear definitely improved and climbing. You can totally see like we're climbing stuff that, you know, they could never have climbed before, but our shoes are like, like make all the difference or whatever. Right. Like, uh, so there's these kind of parallel things. It's kind of cool like that when you're looking at responsive style, modern responsive style, it's it's kind of funny that you could go back in time and do these tricks in the 1930s on their yo-yos, right? Like I, I would not be good enough to go back in time and do boingy boing or whatever, but I could, you know, I could go back in time and do these tricks. That, so that is one of those ones where it's like, oh, it's not technology. They just, they just never thought of this or whatever. Like they, they could have done this at any point you know, in yo-yoing. And uh, it wasn't until recently that, you know, people were like really focused on it. I think that's so cool. It's crazy that you, you, a lot of these tricks you wouldn't have been capable of really thinking about without, because, you know, the, the tool changes the way that you think about <clears throat> the, 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 the practice. And so um, it's kind of like uh, if you're a hammer, you see every problem as a nail. So if you're a responsive player, you've only ever seen a responsive yo-yo, you can only see a problem from the perspective of a, of a responsive player. Um, and like, if you, if you never want to learn a bind, then you're never going to uh, get that change in mindset. And so it's, I, I think comes from, you would never think of a lot of these modern responsive tricks unless you have the unresponsive background behind it and all the progress that's been made from that um, mm-hmm. of, of different things that you can now do and then just backtracking those into the old technology and seeing how that plays back. Um, I think that's really interesting. It makes me wonder if there's ever any future uh, major advancements in a yo-yo. I don't know if it can get more optimized than it is now, but you know, that's what we said about <laughs> in, in Mark McBride's Yonamicon. He says, uh, NASA has tested all the different materials the best material out there is wood. You can't get better than that. And I'm reading that going, yeah, I don't know about that. So uh, <laughs> uh, he has a whole explanation about like the, the density and the, all this other stuff. So anyway, um, uh, I, I wonder what 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 tricks we aren't thinking of with with yeah. uh, with one A. I know um, uh, Michael Nakamura he takes a lot of his foray inspiration from 1A. And I'm sure that there's some interesting 1A stuff that can come from all the different styles. And, and that's sort of the only backtracking of what I was talking earlier that I could think of with 1A right now, because I don't know if yo-yo design is going to get much more pushed along. 
I, I would not be surprised if it would, if it does get pushed along. I, I've been like shocked so many times that I'm like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to be an expert on this because I, I don't know. Like I never would have seen uh, completely unresponsive yo-yos being a thing. You know, what, what's the appeal of that? You throw it and it just stays at the bottom. Like, you know, like, uh, so like, yeah, I, I've been wrong so many times and, and there are a lot of things, um, you know, a lot of uh, responsive, like modern responsive tricks that totally came out of like new school yo-yo play. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of like things that we had to do these really technical things. And then we were like, oh, I can adapt this to this really simple wooden yo-yo or whatever. And it's, you know, totally transcribes. Uh, kind of similarly, I, when I'm playing modern responsive, sometimes I think I find something that can only be done with, with that combo. And then I pick up a responsive counterweight yo-yo and I'm like, oh, I can actually, those things I came up with responsive, you know, counterweight, I can actually apply in a different way and create something new, you know, but I never would have thought of it had I not been playing responsive. Uh, this, this analogy goes to music and like tech, uh, creating like a uh, technology has created a sound that now acoustic musicians even try to emulate sometimes right like uh uh beatboxing would be an example that's totally acoustic you know human beatbox but like they're totally replicating a drum machine and they could have done that at any time in history but they only thought about it because they liked that sound and i feel like you know technology advances and then sometimes we're like oh i can do this on this wooden yo-yo uh, because, because we learned it on something else, it kind of occurs to us that it was possible. We just never thought of it. Yeah. These really awesome, interesting feedback loops that happen for everything of <laughs> mm -hmm. those processes that come through. That's great. Um, two little, uh, before we move on two little loose ends of things I, I remembered, I didn't hit earlier. Could you describe the trick? These are just like random things throughout the episode that I forgot to ask about. Um, could you describe the trick washing machine? Yeah, so, so um, you know, I was saying earlier that washing machine was born out of doing a, a UFO or a sidewinder and the yo-yo falling. And if you don't know what those tricks are, <clears throat> you just turn your hand parallel to the ground. The yo-yo is parallel to the ground. You throw it. So now it's kind of on the wrong plane and it's kind of spinning like a UFO. And it's uh, depending on the direction you throw it, you're either tightening the string or loosening it. Usually I'm a right hand and I throw left. So it loosens the string. And if it gets too loose, the yo-yo will just fall out the bottom of the string. And you can kind of speed that up. You know, if you want to do it on purpose, you can take your other hand and pinch right above the yo-yo. And so now you're really rapidly, you know, unwinding that smaller portion of string. And that makes it more likely to fall on the ground. Uh, well, it was kind of, it started from doing that, uh, specifically with a sonic spin. I would throw the sonic spin yo-yo, which was a cheap plastic yo-yo. I'd, I'd throw it, uh, let it hit the ground, and the, the halves would separate. The half that was on the ground would usually drag, and the, the half on top would usually unscrew. And what you'd end up having was like this platter with like a spinning top, you know, which was really just the yo-yo came unwound. So I would literally do a UFO, let it fall off, hit the ground, pick up the platter, pick up the bottom half, the top would unscrew and I just hold it like a top. I'd like you know, throw it up and catch it on my hand. So now the axle of the yo-yo is on my hand spinning and the bearing fell on the floor. And I'm, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the impetus for just exploring, taking something off the string. 
And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a way to do this without the yo-yo coming apart. (laughs) (laughs) Like if there's a way to do this and like actually like do a trick. So yeah, I would throw a sleeper um, with a a string that had been loosened, but it doesn't have to be. And then you just kind of like with your fingers, you just untwist the string while the yo-yo is sleeping. You open up the loop on the bottom and now it's obvious. The next thing to do is to hop it out. So you hop it in the air, catch it like on a trapeze, do your shtick and keep your finger in that loop on the bottom so that you can kind of hop it up again and catch it right in that loop and then just pull it up to your hand. So the washing machine is a regular yo-yo. You throw a sleeper, you remove the yo-yo from the string while it's spinning, you do some tricks and then you put it back on the string and you pull it back up to your hand and that's that's the washing machine. To- totally thought it was going to be a new style of play. And it really ended up just being that trick. That was it. That was a like, We never really, we never figured out much beyond that. And, and uh, off string was around uh, when that was around, but off string sort of sucked. And off string, I thought, oh, washing machine fixes everything wrong with, wash- with off string, but off string actually fixed all its problems. Like they got good. Off string's really dope now. And I never I thought that, yeah, I never thought they'd be dope, you know, honestly. Yeah, that, that washing machine style sounds like it has its own set of problems and off string fixed all of those too. So yeah, kinda... washing machine is very slow. Yeah. <laughs> you washing machine, you throw that sleeper and you're like, hang with me for a couple of <laughs> seconds. Let me just untwist this yo-yo. Oh, yeah, not, it doesn't exactly have that flow. Yeah. Um absolutely that that speed that you kind of need. imagine every time they want to end a trick it's like hold on gotta gotta re put it onto the string now um so some of that actually has been fixed like i mean really? if i put more effort into washing machine uh you, you can kind of train the string to be open if you really? uh pinch above the yo-yo give it really untwist but then wind the yo-yo up and just kind of leave it there for a while like mm-hmm. next time you throw it, the string just always kind of wants to be really loose on the bottom. Uh, and yeah, I think I think the speed and I think things actually with practice, I think I could have found ways to throw a breakaway and pop the yo-yo out of a string all in one motion. But mm-hmm. uh, I just never did. Uh, off string is so scary to me. I just, uh, I never liked <laughs> dropping my yo-yo like that. I, I think Kitty String actually makes some, they released a, a product recently that's like, it's that it's tight, but then loose towards the towards the middle. Um, Neat. So that could be something interesting to try out. Uh, it's called like Pro or something. You can see it on Yo Expert. Uh, one other thing you're mentioning markups on boutique yo-yos are are lower. Um, yeah. I forget exactly the reason you said for that, but one other reason that I don't think got mentioned is that the competition between all the boutique brands is now so so high um it's like it's like the 90s when everyone wanted to be a rapper like being a being a a yo-yo store owner is the the thing to be yeah. as a yo-yo it's something that everybody wants to be we all want to be uh CLIW Chris and and Ben and and like none of us are going to be that but now there's so many brands it's so easy to make a brand that um I recently released the melatonin and I released it $75 and all my, all my best fans bought them like immediately. And then uh, and a lot of them bought them direct from me. And then it sort of like sales slowed down a lot. And I realized that the price was too high competitively for people to, 
try it as like an experiment of like, oh, I'm gonna, yeah. I'll try out this new one. This seems like an interesting design. It was just priced out of the market because there's so much competition in the boutique yo-yo space that like you can't. So I, I dropped the price down to 60 and I, I think mm -hmm. it's doing better now. But uh, like, is there anything about kind of the competition and the fact that there's so many brands now that uh, that has an effect and anything that you've seen with, with your brand? Um, I don't think competition has hurt my brand. Uh, and I don't think I've hurt anybody else's brand. Like, uh, you know, mostly people buying my yo-yos are like people like, like your fans, <laughs> you know, they just want to, you know, buy the yo-yo that I use or support me. Right. Which is super cool. Um, or they like the types of yo-yos I make, which are very specific. Um, but it's not, yeah, the, much beyond that. Like it's very, it's very niche. So like the other yo-yos that are coming out, they're just in different, like they're competing with, you know, different yo-yos and different yo-yoers uh, who probably wouldn't like my yo-yos regardless of price. Like they, they just want, you know, the bimetals or whatever. So I, I don't, I don't think they're hurting too much. I'm sure they're helping to an extent. They're at least getting people used to the idea of maybe paying a little more. Cause yeah, I mean, yo-yo factory can sell like a yo-yo for 25, a metal yo-yo for $25 or whatever. Like and none of us could do that. So the the Through fact that there are so many boutique yo-yos out there, at least it's getting people kind of used to the idea that okay, that's special. Like that's that's the that's the anomaly is the twenty five dollar yo-yo, and yo-yo should be you know metal yo-yo should be between sixty to seventy five. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before we go, I'm just trying to say this as often as I can. Uh, if anybody bought the melatonin at seventy five, uh, message me and I'll get you a rebate. Um, for that uh, that 15 um and so yeah that's that's just two little loose ends i wanted to hit on before we moved on um uh we talked about magic we talked about demonstrating yo-yos see what else we talked about oh you were talking about uh contests kind of your experience going to contests and doing those uh could you talk a little bit about about that what your thoughts are with those sure i mean uh so so i i I never try to say that um, here's how contest should be done or shouldn't be done. <clears throat> For me, I've just never liked contests. Uh, I understood that they were the way that people got together. I mean, there's yo-yo clubs, but in terms of like, you know, national or global, there's not like a yo-yo convention. It's, it seems built around the contest. As a judge, I hate contests. Like I, I've thought it ruined my experience. I didn't get to hang out with anyone. I didn't get to have fun. You're watching all these routines close up, but you're not processing them. You're just, yeah. you know, clicking or whatever. Uh, I hated it. Like, so they ruined the experience of if I was still judging, I would have quit yo-yoing for sure. And that's the reason, you know, I think some people like were shaming me for a while for not judging. I was like, well, you're not competing and you're an elder in the hobby. You should be judging. I'm like, I, I'd like to stay an elder in the hobby. I don't want to quit. So <laughs> let's just, let's just deal with the fact that I'm not going to judge. Uh, God you competing. Didn't. Yeah. Uh, com competing. I, I tried being good at competing and I just was terrible. Uh, like no matter how much I practiced, it still seemed to be like if it was a windy day or if I was just too nervous, like all that practice would just sort of go out the window. So the most fun I ever had at contests was the, the ones that I spent the less, the least time practicing for. And I went up there and I did just about as good as I did, you know, if I really practiced, uh, so there's that, but like, I also just found like, oh, if I just go to a contest and don't compete <coughs> and don't judge and don't run a table, 
that's my favorite experience of all. But, you know, there is that thing still too, when I go to the world yoga contest and I'm just like there to hang out with my friends, but then they're competing. It's like, Oh, I can't hang out doc. I have to be in my zone or whatever. Like, so like, I just, I really don't love contests. I understand them, but uh, yeah, I, I certainly wish there was ways that we could go and hang out and, but whatever, they're just not for me. So some people love contests and it's what pushes them to practice more or it's how they learn about their favorite new yours or, you know, whatever. It's how they give back if they, if they're being the judge or whatever. Um, so there's no, no trash talking on a contest. Uh, I would prefer that they weren't as big a part of the thing, but they're, you know, they're not even that big a part of the thing anymore. It seems, well, no, they moved online, which is super interesting. Uh, yeah. but like during the pandemic, it felt like, oh, everybody's just playing more comfortable yo-yos and and they're not trying to do speed combos they're it sort of feel like it sort of feel like uh for the past two years contests became less emphasized and people just got more fun and i hope that you know when contests come back uh i hope that people keep just yo-yoing because it's fun but i have a feeling that some people might just you know gravitate towards contests it's just natural yeah, from the people I've talked to, I try to talk about this a little bit, just because <laughs> contests are where the the yo-yo epoch is right now. It's like, this is the world that we live in of, that's where you go if you want to see other yo-yoers. And um, people like Michael Nakamura, he just wants to win. He he wants, he has a very like, I want to know where I rank in everybody. I want to just know where I am and I want a, new, a number to, to associate with that, which it's not at all how I think about yo-yoing, but some people are like that. And then there's other people um, like Anthony Rojas, who he wants to do a great show, but he also wants to play along with the current judging system so that people can see that show. Um, and and so, But he doesn't really care where he's placing. He just wants to make sure it gets seen and that he's high enough that enough mm-hmm. people can actually watch the video because no one's going to watch the, you know, 30th place so um i but one thing like michael nakamura was talking about he loves the the after party of contests that's like his favorite part which to me i'm like that's that's when no one's caring about their their routine everyone's just there hanging Mm -hmm. out the contest is over um maybe people are whining about where they placed but uh like for all intents and purposes we're all just there as yo-yoers and the way i see it is like contests are fine some people want that number of where they place but i'd love if there were like more performances more um more workshops and and lectures and tutorials and all that sort of stuff and a bigger focus on community and learning so the people who want to compete can compete but the people who uh who want to just go and hang out can have that and the people who want to learn can learn the people who want to teach can teach and the people who want to sell can sell and the people who want to buy and trade can do that so i think there's bigger uh, uh, potential for like a, a yo-yo festival maybe even if there's fewer of them but they are bigger events that can encompass more of that I think that could be a really interesting path forward that's what like the international juggling uh, IJ International Jugglers Association the IBM International Brotherhood of Magicians they have a big convention uh, SAM Society of American Magicians all these big organizations all have festivals. I think that could be a really interesting path forward for yo-yoing. Yeah, might be. I, I don't try to get like people 
people do what they want to do. And yeah. I was like, I, I don't know. I, I just need to, uh, if that's where people are, I just need to be okay with that. Uh, if I'm not, if I'm not organizing the, you know, the meetup or whatever, yeah, you know, I, oh no, uh, it's, it's easy for me to say that to organize these things. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I love that you preface this with, uh, with, with how you prefaced it of like, I don't want to mm. judge how those, the events are, but I'll judge him. Yeah, you. you know, there was a, there was this kid I met. Um, he happened to be in San Francisco last week. His name's Colton. He's been yo-yoing for like less than six months and he's fantastic, you know, which oh, just yeah. happens sometimes. He's, he's young too. He's like 12 or 13. And he was like, Hey, mind if I show you my freestyle and you give me some tips. And I remember watching and I remember kind of going like, I don't know if I should be, if, if I give him tips, it might actually hurt because yeah. like, he wanted to enter and i always like wanting to give him tips on like okay you want to slow down that trick you know like pop for that flourish so like it's kind of funny i was like i have no idea what to tell you because i feel like any advice i give you will make you a better performer and hurt your goal so i should just shut up <laughs> yeah. I feel like you, you might know more about competing than i do uh but yeah i was i was happy though to see that that was what was driving him whatever was driving him he was getting really good and he was really into it yeah um so, you know, hopefully if he has a bad time at a contest, like I, like I have, hopefully that doesn't ruin, you know, the thing for him. I, yeah. you know, I still feel very resentful for like some of the freestyles I did where I thought like, wait, they played the wrong song or like they, you know, they did something that kind of messed me up and then it just ruined the whole thing or whatever. And I'm still resentful for like, you know, the sound guy or like the organizers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I hope he doesn't have anything like that you know, where he puts months and months of work into something and feels like he didn't get his fair shot. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good. Good. It's always good to see someone new coming into the, mm -hmm. into the fold, no matter how they come in, no matter what their goals are. Uh, yo, yo, is a yo, yo. Um, so there's a few other little things, maybe two other little things I want to hit on before we end. Um, one is the, the desire to film. You have been filming yo-yo videos, yo-yo tutorials, yo-yo tricks for so long, and they're such awesome videos. What kind of pushes you to, to keep making content? Uh, for me, the, the, I think the goal is that I would love to see other people do my tricks. Um, that would, that's like my competition or whatever is like, you know, the, the thing that drives me is like, you know, oh, I, I hope people like this and I hope, you know, to see people do it because it feels really awesome to be watching some video from someone you never met and they're doing some banger combo and you see a move that you made up like you know two weeks ago that they just integrated or whatever that that's awesome that's such a good feeling and that's kind of my goal and i guess like you know uh the closest thing that you know i'll ever have to like you know having like an impact like a you know beyond me like when i'm gone people will still be doing some some elements of mine or whatever that's super cool uh and so in order for that to happen, you kind of have to promote your trick. And I'm saying like, make a video telling people to do your trick, but you at least have to document it. You know, like you have to give them a chance. You can't just expect them to like read your mind and know that you made up something, you know, oh, doc just created something somewhere right? and I know how to do it. So like, you have to kind of document it and you might have to post it a couple of times and you might have to, you know, uh, you know, try teaching it to people or whatever before it catches on. Uh, and by try teaching, I mean like make tutorial videos or literally at a meetup, be like, Hey, can I show you this thing? Um, but yeah, that's the thing that drives me. I think for, for the videos is 
uh, is the hope that someone will see it and want to learn it. So whenever that happens, it feels really good. You were talking about that um, responsive uh, counterweight um, back of the hand stall video, I think is probably the one uh, where on the club call yesterday, like four people said, hey, I want to learn that trick you did in that video or whatever. And that doesn't always happen. You put out like 100 videos and it's like, you know, that 101 is the one that people like, oh, that trick is good. So that that's that's a good feeling when you know people when people are asking you, you know, to teach you something and you're like, that one must be. That must be good. So that's why I make the videos. No, I, I love that but feeling. I, I say that that's why I make those videos. You know, I do make videos with like interviews and stuff with people. And that has nothing to do with, you know, trying to push my tricks or my agenda or whatever. So like that would just be like, uh, now that, now that, um, you know, people do watch some of my videos, I'm like, Oh, here's someone else you should watch. Like you should, you should know about this guy, Danilo in Brazil. I'm going to like feature him in videos and stuff. So like, that's, you know, I guess sharing is not just making videos because I want people to do my things. And that's uh, for people to, to look up uh, Danilo Barbiero, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me Danilo's head hella dope. How to spell that. Um, D-A-N-Y-L-L-O-B-A-R-B-I-E-R-R-O, I think. Uh, it's single R, single R-O. Oh, okay. Uh, and there's an underscore between uh Danilo and Barbiero for for his Instagram um for people to look up I'll add it to the show notes too uh Dan (laughs) I start running DNA Danilo um Barb that'll be good enough cool so that's one thing I wanted to hit on and then also that you've been running a one of the if if not the biggest one of the bigger yo-yo patreon pages which um patreons are huge in the flow arts community and i there's not very many people doing them in yo-yoing so i just want to if you have any like suggestions on on what you've done that works or uh how that started anything about that i'd be interested in hearing well so like i i think a key a key point that i want to say is your hobby doesn't have to make you money. If you do want to make money, that's totally fine. And I'd be glad to give advice to people for that. But, um, you know, I don't think the drive is to get people to figure out how to monetize their hobby. Uh, cause that could ruin it for some people. Yeah. Um, the, the Patreon for me is about accountability more than anything else. Uh, so, uh, I wanted to keep making podcast videos and I felt like sometimes either I just wasn't in the mood or, I was too in the mood and I was overproducing and not getting things done because I was, you know, putting too much work into it. Right. So like the, the, to get videos out, like the podcast videos, you have to have a certain amount of like, you want it to look good, but you can't spend forever on it because you need it to be done. So you can make one for next month too. Um, and the Patreon, you know, having, I think I have 93 sponsors and like it's five, five seventy five a month is what it's bringing in. Um, that is definitely good accountability. You know, even if it was just like three sponsors, I'd be like, oh God, these three guys really trust me. Yeah. Like, you know, it's actually a little bit more of relief that there's more than the, you know, that there's 90 or whatever. For some reason, I don't know, it, feel, it doesn't feel weird, but it, uh, it, it keeps me going like, oh, I need to do my monthly yo-yo club. I need to do a giveaway. I need to do a big video. I need to do a short tutorial video, which I just, today I posted a, three tips for Eli hops video is kind of like my monthly short video. And so that's, that's the drive for me. And that's why I do it. 
the money um, at this point goes to paying editors and to buying, like I bought a GoPro, which I wouldn't have bought, you know, they're kind of pricey. I wouldn't have bought that, but everybody's always wanting first person perspectives. And I'm like, buy a camera for me. And so like, that's, <laughs> that's what the Patreon does. It allows me to do that. And the Patreon allows me to hire editors. So, you know, that takes a lot of stress off for me. Um, and as far as if you do want to have a Patreon and you do want to kind of like make money from it, um, for, for me, the, 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 the value premise comes around, uh, the, the goal is to sponsor the show, um, and to make sure the show is free for everyone. And that, that's always going to happen. So every time I'm making videos, they're going to be free for everyone. There's not like some super exclusive trick that you can only learn if like, you know, you sign up, uh, so you're helping sponsor the show. You do get access to a monthly yo-yo club that I do a virtual yo-yo club which is actually one of the highlights for me, like every month, we just did one yesterday, it was really fun. So that is the exclusive thing you can get. And then there's also like uh, giveaways that you can only enter if you if you do that. Um, and those are kind of like the, like I hope people have fun with those. Those are the most stressful thing for me is the, the giveaways. Cause I feel like months that I don't have a sponsor or a good yo-yo, I feel really stressed. But like, uh, yeah, being regular and producing content is gonna help for having a Patreon and having specific goals. So again, you know, every month there's a podcast video, there's a short video, there's a yo-yo club, and there's a giveaway. And so, like, you know, I have those very clearly. Like, this is what you're getting. Um, so you don't want to just do a Patreon that's just like, uh, help me be a pro. I guess you know, you need to have like, here's what here's what I'm gonna do in exchange or whatever. I. Yeah, the, the biggest reason I ask is it, it seems like in every art, uh, I mean, the, the, the perspective that I have is magic because that's just what I've spent the most time studying and, and seeing people grow through is the, the best magicians are the paid magicians because they're able to like, they don't have to worry about spending all their time going and doing a day job. They can just focus on, on magic. And so then they spend all their time doing magic or like, all the all the best artists of the of the oh god i can't remember the <laughs> the the like back when leonardo da vinci and all all the the big um man i can't remember what that era was called renaissance uh, there we go all the big renaissance artists like they were all they're all patrons. paid yeah they yeah. had patrons and it it like really helps to create good content and to, to push art art communities forward so it's not like oh i want to get paid to sit around and do yo-yoing it's like i I'd like to push yo-yoing forward. So, or I'd like yo-yoing as a, in general to be pushed forward and to have more people know how to do that, I think is super important. Yeah. Um, it's so awesome that you're kind of pushing that forward. Um, awesome. So I think that's all the biggest questions. Is there anything that we missed that you want to hit on before we uh, roll into the conclusion? I mean, uh, just, just one thing that comes to mind, we, we talked about this in the, you know, last week or whatever, uh, I think both you and I are very interested in how other hobbies have crossed over for us personally, but also like just uh, for other players and stuff, how um, yo-yoing might've inspired Kandama and Kandama might be in inversely re-inspiring yo-yoing. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talked, we talked about like how a top trick became a yo-yo trick. And, uh, you know, we talked about stuff like that, but like, you know, I mentioned contact juggling, that back of the poem uh, video that I just posted, the, you know, 
responsive counterweight trick where I catch the EO on the back of my palm, um, which, which other players have also, you know, kind of experimented with too. But that's totally like, I played contact juggling and that's the classic, you know, back of the hand contact juggling thing. And I didn't even really realize it, how, you know, contact juggling inspired that. And so yesterday during my yo-yo club, you know, I was teaching the technical aspect of that, you know, here's how you hold it. Here's how you let go and when to let go and then catch it on the back of your hand. And it turned out the back of your hand thing that I was just taking for granted because I'd done it, you know, contact juggling. Yeah. You know, these folks didn't know, sink your hand with it, you know, how high to toss, like all the things that I knew because of contact juggling, it didn't even occur to me that they were things that had crossed over into yo-yoing because, you know, they're two totally different things. Um, and I think one of the biggest crossovers that we've had in the yo-yo community kind of back and forth was with Poi, uh, where... Um, Two A players uh, naturally are doing something that looks a lot like poi, so they were kind of stealing poi moves, and yeah, I don't think poi was stealing anything from from two A because the only things they were doing different was the looping, and you can't loop with a poi, right? Yeah. Um, but when freehand came around, uh, very quickly, you know, if you if you grab the freehand uh, string or the counterweight uh, string in the middle, now you have two weights, so now you're suddenly doing poi. You know, you've got a left weight and a right weight. Uh, so we were copying Poi, and I think I think maybe me specifically was copying Poi and bringing over Poi stuff to freehand, and then I'd go back to doing Poi, and I would bring freehand back with that. So I remember, you know, you never let go of the, you always were like attached to the Poi, and I remember I'd go to conventions and I'd be like letting go of the the we didn't have a weight, so you just let go of the strap. You know, I wouldn't be in the straps; I'd just be like holding them. And so I'd let go of straps and I'd be doing freehand tricks with poi, you know, poi, 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 counterweight release, poi, 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 counterweight release. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that has now crossed over to the point where there's a style of, they call it contact poi. And I think they see their influence as being contact juggling, which it kind of is. But I actually honestly think it's freehand that was their, or counterweight was the, yeah. the big inspiration for contact poi. You know, when you look at it, it's a, you know, it's a, big ball with a smaller ball in the end and it's totally counterweight and the things they're doing are totally like aerials and you know stuff like that they're even bopping you know the same way when we do freehand and we like land a trapeze and we like bop the the yo-yo and let it spin around they do that yeah. so i think they don't even know or maybe they do but i think there's this like you know we stole from them and then they stole from us and then we're probably at some point get to steal back from them it's it's super cool to kind of see these hobbies cross over you know, contact juggling and poi and magic and comedy and, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's so fun to watch, to be able to see those lines. I feel like, I, I feel like I should have one of those big maps on the wall with like red yarn, you know, and like, kind of like oh, you know, yeah. lines and things. That, that <laughs> you know, scene like, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie is like, <laughs> yeah, oh, just like God. a counterweight comes from <laughs> this and yeah, like just kind of like it's, it all comes from like if ultimately it would all come down to like uh pogs you know like i'd have this like in the center i'd have pogs and i'd have all these red lines going out from pogs we're like it all makes sense oh my god jeremy mckay's face is there with a question mark next to it uh yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah no i i can't think of a better visualization of what this show is trying to be than that that was perfect <laughs> oh yeah. man that's awesome. Um, uh, and I'm so glad that you, that you brought up that contact poi because uh, that was another thing. I, I wasn't interested in yo-yoing until I saw a gyroflop. I wasn't interested in poi until I saw 
um, Marvin Ong, also uh, master, Grandmaster Ong on Instagram, amazing uh, uh, flow artist. I saw him doing contact poi and he was doing like all these crazy things I'd never seen someone do poi with. Uh, there's a thing called a fishtail, which I still don't know how to do it. It's like you have, you can do it with a juggling club that you have kind of the bulb on the back of your hand. It's almost like a contact juggling move. And then the, the handle swings to the left and then swings over your arm and then swings to the right. And it's this figure eight motion on the back of your hand. And it's just this beautiful thing. And he was doing them with both hands with contact poi, making a, a, a three beat weave out of it. And it was like, the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And so then I was like, yeah. I need to learn this. So, um, and another crazy thing, do you know Farrah Siegel? She's a two way player and also magician. Sounds familiar. Yo -Yo Jam. She's, she's mm -hmm. great. Um, and she's a juggler. She, she happened to be at that meetup. So that was another little bit of serendipity. Um, cool. That was a long time ago, but so all these things are like the reason I'm sitting here, the stuff that you have done, that's, just, I mean, I guess that's what happens when you have a, when you're talking to a yo-yo legend. Um, perfect. So there's three conclusion things. One is takeaways. Uh, I like to get one thing from you and one thing from me of, of like, if we could sum up everything we talked about, of all the things we talked about, what's one takeaway point that you want people to really, really remember? <laughs> Stumped on that. <laughs> that's a tough one, right? Uh... Em embrace mistakes love it <laughs> i'd say uh man there's so much we hit on uh <clears throat> i liked i really liked that that b-boy freeze that's a good little yeah. thing that people can remember of like don't forget to pause and let the audience take in what you did that's good um that, 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 i like that uh next thing plugs is you obviously have a Patreon. Uh, where can people find that? Patreon.com slash DocPop. And uh, DOCPOP is like me on everything. Uh, okay. Instagram is probably the best place to watch my videos, but I think you can also find me on YouTube and TikTok and Twitter as DOCPOP. Awesome. And the, the Patreon is the big, the big thing I have going right now. It's just nice to have people, you know, uh, helping make uh, the money makes making the show easier. It doesn't like yeah. pay rent but it allows me to hire editors and stuff. Um, and I have more yo-yos coming, but with the pandemic and with the supply chains, man, I don't know when they're going to arrive. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't, I, the bolt will be in stock at some point. The, I, the weekender will be back in stock at some point. Okay. Yeah. And uh, where can people find those? Drpopular.com. Awesome. 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 Anything else you want to plug? Uh, D Danola Barbiero is really dope. He, he does really good stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, cool. And one other thing is I went to one of your, one of those meetups uh, to learn the, the whip. Oh, what's the, what's the name of it? The whip. Uh, twist whip. Twist whip. And uh, which I posted recently. And that meetup was so fun. Unfortunately, I had to leave like uh, after maybe 30 minutes but it was such a fun time to to see everybody all learning together like that's that's where i love to see the yoga community um so if anybody is interested in that join the the patreon it starts at what two dollars a month yeah two dollars a month you can get access to everything that the higher levels get very um, very weird. and it's just a big help 
yeah the yesterday's yesterday's club was really fun they're, they're becoming kind of like my favorite thing of each month um and i'm trying to organize local clubs again and it's weird because organizing a local club feels like an obligation that i as a yo-yo elder have to do or else it won't happen and it feels stressful and it's like oh people don't like this location or it's too windy or whatever and doing the patreon yo-yo club is just like it's the second saturday of every month and we just like five minutes before the club i just turn on my mic and get ready and it's like super stress-free and it's just yeah. fun you know like it's i wish i wish the real world yo-yo clubs were like that for me because they are very stressful to organize i'm glad you know when they happen i like it when they happen but yeah they're they're so much harder and so much more work absolutely perfect and then the last thing is the endless chain we want this podcast to go on forever so who is somebody that you could put me in touch with that you think would be great for this show as a guest? Well, I think, future? I think Stevie B. You, you talked to him yet? I yeah. would love to. Uh, Cause he's got the, you know, it came from juggling. Uh, uh, I know you know, I don't, I don't think he's got much magic or comedy, you know, knowledge, but he's got a lot of juggling and street performer. And, you know, I think he's got, yeah, maybe he's got like the writing and stuff. Yeah. He'd be fun to talk to. Awesome. 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 Uh, anybody else? Just because I know that you, <laughs> I don't want to be greedy here, but is there, <laughs> you're just such a good resource. Uh, well, I would say Danilo, but I think he oh, yeah. uh, is a little shy about like communicating. I don't think English is his first language. Um, yeah. Same with uh, Michio. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, I could probably think about people afterwards um okay. i i don't know her that well but i've been watching um i think it's called bella freestyling i don't i don't oh, have my instagram handle. yeah like yeah. she's dope um yeah. like funny um has the the good editing like you know sometimes being a good yo-yo pro isn't just being good at the tricks it's like being good at the tricks plus being good at the editing or yeah. marketing or whatever and yeah she just seems like unfairly talented at that stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> same, same with uh, uh you know uh angelo or um you know evan uh oh, angelo you know, they, they angelo good. came on and i'm gonna get it uh evan on I'm, oh, i've been talking oh. to him but yeah no they oh, i love them they they all commented on one of bella's uh videos like yeah. angelo evan uh uh uh, uh oh who's the offset yo-yo guy um he's gonna be on the podcast i don't uh, he's australian oh my god i'll, I'll remember his name soon <laughs> i know him very i i i talk to him all the time anyway even like gentry all these people all commented on on one of bella's videos <laughs> she was just like <laughs> blown away by it um that was that was a fun little thing anyway i think that's all that's all we got to talk here um, that's good but thank you so much for coming on doc this has been amazing yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm stoked you're doing the deep dives like this. That's a cool premise. Uh, you know, because like when I do a video, it usually is just like, uh, this is a yo-yo video, so I'm going to teach you a yo-yo trick. And it's kind of fun mm -hmm. to be like, oh, there's you know more to it than just literally like, here's how to do a trick or whatever. So that's cool. Oh, absolutely. Kudos to you. Um, and Brandon Vu is the name that I was trying to think of, but thank you so much. Oh, for yeah, that. Brandon. And, and I'm so glad that you're doing uh, that you're doing all the things that you're doing because uh, oh, it's, it's amazing. I I really have to hop onto your Patreon. 
because <laughs> I wanted to start going to those club meetings. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming. And uh, yeah, hope to talk again soon. Word up. All right. Later. <laughs>